Hello and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. We're having we're having a silly morning. I'll say yeah, we just like passionlessly made up other Lies of P titles like <laughs> Into just, the A, Into the A, and Beginnings of Steve were the two <laughs> that really rewired our brains. <laughs> Something about not making eye contact and like telling a joke in a tired voice is over like Skype. Dot over app. Skype is like a new <laughs> form of of malware. <laughs> yeah, it's it's my loose five. <laughs> Happy to be here, Brendan. Yeah, same. Uh, this is exciting because this is so it will be different in terms of release order. But for you and me, this is the last episode we're recording before game of the year yeah which is very exciting yeah and this episode i would say mostly consists of us like doing our due diligence yeah yeah i mean I, I we've been saying this for the past like five weeks it feels like yeah that we're in goatee prep mode it's usually you know just to kind of remind people what that even means like we kind of keep a, a ever-growing list of games we like really love throughout the year and then before game of the year we like to make an effort to revisit things maybe finish some games we really want to see through <laughs> I think it's what's up. I was just thinking game of the Y <laughs> game of the Y. So we already, we already so summoned go toy into the world. We can't also do game of the Y. <laughs> just, just keep going. Keep going. You were keeping us on track. 20 I, of the I'm three. Yeah. Um, 20 of the three. <laughs> no, <laughs> this is your bit. I'm just feeding you the food you brought to the table. It tastes like shit. It t- I'm sorry I brought this. I thought it would it be funny. It tastes like ass, Steven. It tastes <laughs> What the fuck are you cooking? This food looks like ass. Like, they, like Gordon Ramsay, you can't swear anymore. <laughs> he just, like, well, I guess I'll take a lesson from Liza P and just give single letters to swears. <laughs> what the F is happening here? All right, enough. So game enough. of the year game of the y is going to be recorded next week and we've been revisiting games that we either like want to put more time into or games we just completely missed so that's very exciting a lot of the games we're bringing up in today's episode are games that like are in that kind of list one of which obviously is lies of p which we've (laughs) not so subtly foreshadowed yes before we get into that i just wanted to make a quick announcement regarding the twilight princess bonus we are going to have to reschedule that yet again so we'll be recording that after game of the year and that will be coming out sometime in january i recognize we've had to reschedule it a lot i think our new model of bonuses not having to be monthly but like we'll give them the time they need Uh, I think has been an adjustment. So I think we're kind of used to that monthly deadline. I think that's kind of created some cases where like we might recognize we actually need more time when we've already scheduled a recording date. So this will not be like a pattern. I just I just want to ensure you that we're going to do a better job in the future of like not having to constantly announce things and then push it back. We do have like the next three bonuses already kind of set. So I think this is kind of just the growing pains of of adjusting to a new schedule. And it's also game of the season so it's like inherently probably our busiest time for the show yeah so i i just really want to thank everyone for recognizing that this show is made by three people and sometimes like things just get too busy for us and we never want the show to suffer for that so rather than just forcing out a okay twilight princess episode we're gonna wait until it can be as great as we want it to be so expect that after game of the year yeah i uh i have finished that game i'll just i'll just say it's uh still good 
still very good. I'm excited to talk about it. There's 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 a lot to talk about. If I say any more, I'm going to give away the the bit. So um, yes, thank you for being patient with us, dear listener. Absolutely cool. So with that out of the way, why don't we finally get into the elephant in the room? Yeah, it's Malcolm Landgrab. Um, <laughs> here's the thing: we brought up Malcolm Landgrab in the last in the last episode. And then the day that that episode came out, somebody posted an article. I think it was Eurogamer. I might be wrong about this. I'm sorry if I'm attributing it wrong. But somebody put out an article that said that EA opened an actual Malcolm Landgrab real estate business, like a storefront, uh, to promote some kind of new Sims 4 expansion, which is the most cursed this show has ever been. <laughs> I think it was like a pop-up, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, but yeah, that that is... That is something else. I, I think land grab entering the zeitgeist in any way outside of our mouths is is cursed. I couldn't believe that. I, I just thought that we were going to leave Malcolm Landgrab in the past. I thought that he had his moment in the sun. Yeah, it was right. going to be great. One episode, one and done. I just needed to acknowledge that we're not at fault for what the Aether gives us. <laughs> Sorry for making Malcolm Landgrab a real man. Uh, that you have to contend with if you live in, I think, the greater London area. What happens when Malcolm Landgrab tells a lie? Does his top hat get bigger? I think so. Yeah, he becomes like Doug Dimmodome. Does his monocle end up seeing more creatures that have always been there? <laughs> I think so. Probably something along those lines. Today we're talking about Lies of P, which is developed by NeoWiz Games and Round 8 Studio, published also by NeoWiz Games. This is probably, I would say, at least in my perception, one of the biggest, for lack of a better phrase, Souls-likes that have come out in the last few years. I yeah. think like we really started to see games that were directly trying to emulate Dark Souls and the FromSoft library in like 2016. And since then, it's just become unavoidable. It's yeah. almost like an uphill battle at this point. I actually think it is. I think it is an uphill battle, both to even just get noticed and also not come off as so derivative that it's like a joke you yes. know it's like how did this even get made yeah as as we've said many times on the show um when talking about games like this there is the bonfires and fog walls of it all there is the like what lessons are you taking from dark souls and from the FromSoft oeuvre like what what things do you think make a FromSoft game or make a souls like and a lot of people just kind of get that stuff wrong a lot of people just think it is you sit down at a bonfire and it makes all the enemies spawn again and every time you go fight a boss you have to walk through a fog wall and that's like kind of it whereas i think the best games are using kind of like bits and pieces yeah. for inspiration right something like hollow knight is one that we refer to a lot that like understands the scope and magnitude of like exploration in those kinds of spaces understands the feeling that you should have when you sit at a bonfire for example and in that case it's like one of the benches you know there's like different music that plays when you sit on the bed like all that kind of stuff really culminates in making something that feels like it's taking the right things or taking just like certain aspects of the Souls-like formula that fit that game best, but not making that be the only inspiration. And I think where you and I have bumped up against a lot of Souls-like in the past that aren't made by FromSoft in particular is that they are trying to play too close to the formula, which is, I think, one of the things that makes Lies of P so interesting because it is literally as close to the formula as you can possibly get. Yeah, I, I have a lot of thoughts specifically about Liza P, which we'll get to, but I I, I actually kind of wanted to talk a little bit more just about like the Souls like genre kind of turning into something. Becoming a genre, like actually. Becoming a genre. I think it is 
you know, the only other genre I can think of at the top of my head that the name of the genre is the name of the game is, of course, Metroidvanias. Right. That genre name came to be when Symphony of the Night came out. And the origins of the term are kind of fuzzy, but it seems like the name came out not necessarily to describe a new genre of game, but to describe the new direction of Castlevania, like clearly borrowing from Metroid. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing about Symphony of the Night is that in a lot of ways, it's doing what Liza P is doing with Super Metroid. You know, Symphony of the Night, it has, talk about bonfires, it has the same exact, like, twist on a save point with the save rooms. Right. Uh, the same map. A lot of it is straight up derivative, but I think those games have really unique souls. Like, I think when you play Super Metroid or... Uh, Symphony of the Night, like you're kind of playing them for different reasons. And mm -hmm. I think the reason Symphony of the Night is a classic on its own merit is that it proved you can take this skeleton and really push it in any direction. Yes. And I think while Metroid just has, I would argue, like more solid design shops overall, like the Metroid games are like these perfect little gems. I think we wouldn't have as many games coming out without Castlevania because that was sort of like the here, like take this baton and run with it. And now we have games like Ori and yeah. Hollow Knight and a ton of games that don't feel like derivative of Metroid. They're not just copying the sound design of Metroid. Mm -hmm. They all have their own identity and that genre has the benefit of having been around for at least 20 years yeah. if not longer you know cave story was i think the first kind of big indie one and that game too has a very unique identity despite borrowing clearly from a lot of nintendo ip yes so i think like there's a very clear difference between inspiration and just straight up copying mm -hmm. and i think it's important to draw a line in the sand especially right now where like you know not to completely parrot the h-bomber guy video about plagiarism but it just feels in the air where like we are as a society almost being like pushed to see what are the limits of copying something mm -hmm. like even in my professional life i have been encouraged to endorse ai and like pushed in that direction yeah and i feel like everyone is kind of having to fold like well i can't fight this so i guess it's okay here here and here and like that scares me because right. that's the beginning of a society where we don't question this stuff anymore absolutely you know and i'm not i'm not trying to set up lies of p as like this demonic game i don't think it's a lies of p problem i think it's like a media problem in general but i think it's especially noticeable in games where iteration is more heavily encouraged and like actually copying is encouraged in a lot of ways and in some cases it can be done well where like maybe you just want to grab a mechanic from a game and put your own spin on it you know, I think there's a way to be really open about that. And it comes off as like celebratory and a love letter to a genre. And then there's a way where it's like, why aren't we questioning this anymore? <laughs> like with Liza P, I, I, I'm enjoying the game, but it is shameless. Like it, it has the same exact UI as Bloodborne. It has the same exact Bois sound effect that FromSoft needs to copyright at this point. The same exact animation when you open a door or pull a lever when you're leveling up, it has the same horrible UI that if you're going to change anything, change that. Don't copy that from FromSoft, where like you have eight stats that mean nothing and then numbers go up randomly when you level them up. It's just like there is a lot that Liza P is doing unique to itself that I admire. And it makes it more frustrating when it's like, why did you feel the need to just straight up copy all of these other things? that are not important to the identity or are important to the identity of the game and make your 
game come off way more like a ripoff than it needs to be. That stuff drives me up a wall and it's hard for me to really enjoy Lies of P as much as I want to because I think mechanically it's really fun and we'll get into like what the game is doing well because that's what the show is for but I, I just can't Part of me is like, do I just accept this or do I actually bring up like just my, the vibe I get while playing it is like suspicion <laughs> and just like, why is this okay? Why is like they're just an open invite to rip off from soft at this point? You know, like I, I just don't understand elements of the of those choices. Oh, there's a lot to unpack there. I feel yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, man. OK, so. I think I think we're in kind of a growing pains phase here, as as you said earlier. I think that yeah. I think one of the big issues is like if Souls like is going to actually be a genre and not just you know a, a, a piece of terminology that like annoys people on Twitter or something, right? Then there needs to be games like this that are pushing that kind of envelope in a way. And to be fair, there are a lot of other games that we have played for the show and like not brought up. I think because specifically they are taking even more from the souls sure born experience than even this game. Yeah, this is not the worst example of that. Yes. But I think it's important to point it out because it is so successful. Yes. And like I totally. agree with a lot of the praise for this game. I, I don't want to come off like I, I don't like it. I just think like there's clearly so much talent in this game. And and the moments where they do inject it with their own individuality, I think are great. I mean the beginning, like the opening, I, I thought was excellent. I loved the introduction, mm -hmm. the the like narrow corridors on the train, Jiminy being Gemini, Gemini, love that. That's like a weird AI lantern guide. Like the interpretation of Pinocchio, I actually think, well, that's the thing a lot of people make fun of. I think that's actually the best part of the game. I think that's where the game feels the most original. You know, Pinocchio is public domain at this point, and fairy tales like that, I think, they're kind of almost like Shakespeare, where a lot of modern productions of Shakespeare have like, this is Shakespeare, but during the Revolutionary War or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. I think in this case, it's a little bit like the Tim Burton, let's make it like edgy thing. But mm -hmm. I do I do enjoy seeing where they've interpreted the fairy tale, you know, the original text of Pinocchio. Yeah. So the beginning I thought was cool. And then the minute I pushed the two heavy doors and we're in the rain and they're carriages straight out of bloodborne rabid dogs straight out of bloodborne i'm like you could have changed the enemies like it, it just makes me feel like would we even be talking about this game if bloodborne was ported to other consoles <laughs> or if like bloodborne 2 had come out i feel like there's such a huge appetite like it's the it's like mother 3 getting localized like every time there's a game event someone's like bloodborne 2 or like when is bloodborne coming to steam and it's cool that this team sought like an opportunity there like well we could make our own version of bloodborne like our own spin on it but like it's just those one-to-one -one moments where i'm like there's clearly so much like i i do think there is passion behind this game i don't think it's soulless which is kind of ironic given that we're talking about pinocchio here uh, which is like a fable about authenticity and and whether or not you're a real thing but yeah man i just i i can't really fully embrace this game because of moments like that you know like i just think like that th those are easy opportunities to put your own spin on it and they just choose not to and that's where i get really frustrated with this game uh I, I guess just to finish my thought from earlier, the other aspect of this that I think is worth going down the line of, right? So we have things like Lies of P, which are like taking things like UI elements one-to-one. -one. The other 
aspect of this is like Ubisoft comes up with the open world framework that they use for everything now, including as of like this week, the week this episode comes out, that new Avatar game comes out and is another open world Ubisoft game with icons all over a map, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That aspect, that success that Ubisoft found with that immediately started popping up elsewhere. We're even seeing it in things like the Horizon series, right? Or Ghost of Tsushima. And in some cases, even like Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom have 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 elements of the successes of the Ubisoft stuff. And I I think right off the bat, when Assassin's Creed started working in that way and when Far Cry started working in that way, there was this element of like, just give me more of that. I just want more of that, you know? And I think what's interesting about the Souls-like stuff is as players demand more stuff like that, while simultaneously being some of the most like at least based on online interactions, some of the most like gatekeepy hardcore fandoms possible, you end up with this weird dichotomy of a group of people desperate for a thing that matches the same high as what they've gotten from FromSoft, while simultaneously being hypercritical of anything that's trying to be FromSoft, right? And to see a game like Lies of P, in my eyes, like almost please a lot of those people was the reason that I decided to check it out again, despite feeling exactly the same way you, you were feeling. And I just to be clear, I've been streaming this game for the past like week. There's a lot of videos on our YouTube channel that you can watch of me starting this process with this like tongue in cheek. I'm playing the Pinocchio game kind of energy and slowly having these moments every couple hours of play where I would like need to put the controller down and just be like, this is this is good. Which is, I think, that's the hardest circle to square for me. You know, that's like the hardest thing to wrap my head around because I do, I feel the same way as you about a lot of this like UI stuff and a lot of this like animation stuff. And especially, I agree with you, that first area almost exists purely as a way to please Bloodborne fans, which may in a lot of ways end up doing the opposite for the exact reasons that you've laid out. What's the most frustrating element of Liza P for me is that two hours after that point, the game has a completely unique identity and has like an amazing riff on a lot of different elements of the Souls formula. But for the first like opening couple hours, I mean, it is as you said, shameless, like it is straight up just like trying to be Bloodborne as close to the carbon copy as possible. And what's weird about that is like, I know, I know why they made that decision. They made it to show their chops. They made it to prove to players that they that they can do it competently. But then they run into this problem that you and I are having. And a lot of people had, I think, around when the game came out, when the demo came out, which is like, like I played the demo and I like I thought the demo was fine and a competent Souls-like experience, but I also was like, I play Bloodborne already. I can go play Bloodborne again at any moment. I can I can boot up my PlayStation. I can play Bloodborne, and that would be probably a more fulfilling experience to play through that game again than to play whatever this thing is. And knowing that I felt that way has been more frustrating than anything for me when talking about this game, when thinking about this game, because like the stuff that happens right after the demo is the stuff that really excited me. Things like take taking elements of the Bloodborne formula or the Souls-like formula and like improving upon them in these little kind of interesting ways. I think one of the more interesting things about Lies of P is that it's like, very linear. It's an extremely linear game. They, they are removing the Metroidvania inspiration from Dark Souls and from right. the FromSoft formula. And that's going to work really well for a lot of people. And it's also going to turn a lot of people away. But that's an identity. You know what I mean? Like that, yeah, yeah, like right. making that decision, like that is an identity that that, that uh, Round 8 Studios is like 
come up with for Liza P. But all like the things like that, the things like the skill tree with like actually meaningful choices that you're making, the ability to change the uh, the the like when you're when you're sharpening your weapon, you can imbue it with elements instead of needing to use like consumables on that. So you can like have all of these different builds that you can kind of equip based on the areas you're in. Like there are all of these little minute things that make Liza P an individualistic souls like experience that feels like it wasn't made by FromSoft that it makes it all the more frustrating that for the first couple hours, it really just feels like, hey, we're being we're, it's Bloodborne 2, baby. You're back. You know? Yeah. I mean, like to the point where it's like the the hub area, Hotel Crot, you meet, you know, uh, Sophie is her name, mm-hmm. who is clearly like a blue fairy analog. Yep. And she's just, you know, very much like the from soft level up character. Yeah. That doesn't really bother me, but it's like just stuff like that constantly where it's like you could have reinterpreted this or like even in that place, even in Hotel Crot, somebody tells you like, hey, be careful when you tell people to come here. Like you don't want to like bring somebody in who's going to do something naughty. And I'm like, dog, that is Bloodborne. Like, yeah, that like not only are you taking all these elements from Bloodborne mechanically, but that is just like a plot point and a gameplay mechanic that makes Bloodborne specifically unique. And you're taking yeah. that too, you know? And like Garman is Geppetto, like straight up. Just like, yeah. you know, and that, I mean, like, I don't, again, I don't hate that. I don't hate that interpreting like two different texts. But I think like when this game opens, they thank the author of Pinocchio. They should also thank Miyazaki, I think, because it's it's really like those two things. And th- the thing is like FromSoft doesn't, like they are such a giant and this is a really small team, it's worth mentioning. This is like a pretty small studio. Yeah, so I'm not trying, like, I I don't think, FromSoft is in no danger, basically, yeah. of, of, like, being forgotten or eclipsed. But I just, I just wonder, like, again, sort of the success of games learning the wrong lessons. And this is not a new thing in terms of, like, you know, copycats coming out after a big game comes out. I mean, the entire 90s is Mario ripoffs. You know, mm-hmm. and again, you're you bring up like when a new genre is forming, not that, you know, Mario was the first side scrolling platformer, but it absolutely made them popular. You know, we get a lot of just like kind of failed copies of it until we get the more successful versions. Mm-hmm. We get the Sonics or we get, you know, other characters that put literally put their own spin on it. I'm so sorry for having that work out the way it did. Um, <laughs> AJ, can you put the noise that happens when you get hit in Sonic and you spill all your rings there? <laughs> I opened this segment like coming in real hot, but I think that's kind of the elephant in the room for me when playing this game. Because I agree with you. I think a lot of the decisions that are new and are different. And it's also worth noting I'm much earlier on than you. Like I, I was ready to write this game off to be completely clear. And you inspire me to give it a shot when I'm just playing it. And if I completely turn my critical mind off, this isn't meant as an insult to the game, but if I'm not thinking about everything we just talked about, it's very fun. They did a really good job. And I think the from soft balance is a hard enough one to strike that even just succeeding at emulating it is a triumph in its own right. So like, I really mean no disrespect to the team who worked on this. I'm more questioning the instinct overall that there's now like an entire industry of games that think it's okay to just blatantly copy elements of, of what makes FromSoft's identity. And I, and I guess the, the question is, well, then what is the thing? You know, I don't think anybody should dictate what piece of inspiration you take away from a game, but like, what is okay to emulate and what isn't? I don't, I don't have the answer to that. I think it's a little bit of a sixth sense thing where like, it's not just me or you, but like, I think anyone who engages with a piece of media, you can just tell 
when it's like authentic and when it's trying to ride a wave. And this game is doing both, which makes it so confusing. Yes. Because I think it is authentic. Pinocchio is a real boy. And there's a (laughs) lot here to really admire. And then there's the stuff that's just like blatant copying. Yeah. And I I wonder if maybe the success of this game, I'm I'm pretty sure they're going to do DLC and a sequel. Uh, I'm, I'm really invested in seeing how that shapes up because I think that's like now that they've proven they can do this sort of like, can you match FromSoft in some ways mechanically? Now there's an opportunity to like really etch their own identity. Yeah. I feel that way with like the Neo games where I think Neo was one of the first big FromSoft like competitors. That was like accepted. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and Neo two, uh, team Ninja making it like those games in some ways are also kind of like shameless and what they're taking from souls, but they just feel like campier and a little bit more button mashy in a way that like makes them feel like the like junk food, version of from stuff and i mean that as a compliment like i just think there's because that's an identity again that that's 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 a real spin on the formula for me it's like i know why i'm choosing to play one game over another you know if, if yeah. it has a unique identity i i know why i'm playing neo 2 over Sekiro mm-hmm. and with liza p like i i think it is kind of fuzzy but yeah i mean I can see why it's really popular, but it it just gives me some pause where a lot of the praise, it is also kind of tethered to FromSoft. Yeah. You know, like you can't really praise this game without bringing up FromSoft. And that's, I think, maybe part of the bigger problem for me. Yeah, no, I I totally get that. I I think trying to figure out what direction to take this in next but the the thing about so I, I i guess i should say like when starting liza p again i came at it from the same angle you did and where i've landed after playing i think well over 10 hours at this point i think i might be closer to 15 i think i'm like maybe a third to a half of the way through this game what i found most interesting is the game really wears bloodborne on its sleeve right that's like very clearly the most noticeable influence i think just across the board even when this game was announced everyone was like oh here here comes another studio trying to make bloodborne again but the more of it i've played the more i've realized that it is a little bit a best of of FromSoft and less so less so just trying to be bloodborne there are a lot of elements of sekiro i mean like the most obvious one is the fact that he has the mechanical arm that you can like swap out to do different things and have like different tools attached to it, stuff like that. But even the ways in which the like parry and posture meters work, the ways in which, um, I mean, even just like the narrative linearity of it, it matches a little bit closer to Sekiro. And on top of that, I think there is a lot of souls stuff in here as well. And I think it's worth breaking down. Like there is a difference between the dark souls trilogy and demon souls and bloodborne and Sekiro and Elden ring because I think one of the most fascinating things about FromSoft as a development studio is they made the Dark Souls stuff. They made Bloodborne, which was like an interesting riff on that, which I think having done that, I think that by themselves or I, th- I think that by itself is maybe like the genesis point for Souls-like as a as a genre is like once FromSoft realized that they could do a unique spin on their own thing, almost gave everybody else the green that like it was as if. It was as if Nintendo also made Castlevania in that yeah, way. Yeah, they Symphony of the Nighted their own series. Weirdly, yeah. this is the silliest, <laughs> the silliest link possible. But it's a lot like Nintendo publishing Donkey Kong Country after having Mario in sure. that way, right? Like yeah. it's it's very similar to that. So here's here comes FromSoft being like, all right, we made Dark Souls. This is a huge hit. Now we're gonna make Bloodborne, an interesting, unique spin on that. And their past couple of games 
have all been that again, right? So the post-Dark Souls world of, of FromSoft was Bloodborne and then Sekiro, which was like, okay, what if we had a very narrative-focused, trying to be less opaque in terms of like what's going on with characters and what's going on with the world? You you are a person who has like a unique influence on the world. And then after that, you have Elden Ring, which is like, okay, let's take you know this thing that we've done well and let's make it an open world and like lean into the exploration side. And in all three of those cases, you have these very interesting experiments of a studio messing with and trying to expand upon its own genre. And what's so funny is still so many of the people who are trying to take from what FromSoft has done are really focused in on one of those projects. And what's interesting that lies a P to me is that the more of it I play, the more I realize that it is trying to take from all of them, which again is not going in its own direction, but is at least not just trying to be Dark Souls or not just trying to be Bloodborne. There's also a lot of Bioshock. That was actually the first kind of vibe I got. Yeah. Like just the just the way the puppets move and animate and even just the opening credits. The steampunk world feels also very art deco in a way that I think yeah. kind of kind of triggers the like Bioshock irrational games which i like that's yes. i think where the game feels like this doesn't feel like yarnum this feels like a new place and it also yeah. feels like a again a take on pinocchio i'm curious how much more pinocchio stuff there is because like there are some horrifying moments of that movie at least like mm -hmm. with the kids turning into donkeys i'm like that's perfect ingredients for a from soft boss yes. at some point yes i'm very interested in like how does monstro appear in this yeah right you know <laughs> so like, and that's fun like i i think the even though that's the thing that everyone made fun of like i think the pinocchio stuff is like the most interesting part of it yes and i i i really hope that that was like a genuine interest i, I think it is I, I would i would guess like that to me feels authentic the jaded part of me is like it's public domain. We can slap on a soul structure on top of it. But mm -hmm. like, I think that's kind of an uphill battle. I don't think anyone. Yeah, that's like, an exceedingly yeah. difficult thing to accomplish. Pinocchio's in right now. We got to Yeah. So I, I think like, I do like this game to be clear. Uh, and I'm probably coming off more critical than I usually am on the show. But I think it's an important conversation because I think it's like we are kind of in the thick, like you said, of a new genre forming. We're in a time where it's getting harder to tell what is, you know, real yeah without for lack of a better phrase like what is made by a person and who actually made it while Liza P I don't think is like a villain in this story I think it's like a symptom of pieces of both of those things mm -hmm. yeah you know so I think uh if you'll permit me I'll talk a little bit more about like specifics yeah um, please do because, I'd love to hear more about it because I, yeah. I I think uh I'll, I'll I'll give a shout out once again to Jacob Geller over on YouTube, uh, who posted his game of the year stuff uh, for this year and had Lies of P on his top 10. And at one point in in the description of Lies of P said something to the effect of to explain why Lies of P is good would require spending way too much time talking really in depth about very specific mechanics and their relationship to FromSoft games, which is like the best little blurb that i think you could just kind of encapsulate all of lies of p in because again it is the little things that i think kind of add up to make this game really stand out and i think those are the things that win a lot of FromSoft people over i think when you when you talk to people who love bloodborne or love what FromSoft have have come up with it's spending enough time with lies of p not bouncing off of it early but like spending enough time with it that you start to learn the ins and outs of what they've accomplished here and what what stuff they've taken what stuff they've managed to in a lot of cases, and I'll be perfectly frank, push forward and and make 
make a game in some ways better than FromSoft has using their own formula, it just feels like a huge flex in a lot of ways. While it's also a little bit of like a shameless copy, it does feel like a really huge flex for the smaller studio to be like, hey, we're going to stand at your level. We're shoulder to shoulder with you and we're going to force you to get better at your thing also. There is an aspect of that to me that is a little bit exciting. That th- for finally a studio has come along that's been like, I'm going to I'm going to challenge you at your own game and the two of them hypothetically could have a little rivalry in my head. Um but I I just I just feel like going unchallenged while here's the thing. It's hard to make this case because FromSoft feels unmatched and it feels like there's no world in which they will falter like they have just made hit after hit after hit after hit culminating in elden ring which i think in a lot of ways for a lot of people is like one of the greatest games of all time it's definitely one of the best games i've ever played and it's it feels weird to be like that doesn't mean they don't need to be challenged in in some cases and i think lies of p coming along and being like there are interesting elements that you could take from your own stuff and and expand upon i think is really cool so for example Bloodborne has famously the thing in it where every weapon is two weapons, right? Every single weapon, you know, has like it's kind of like very classic hack and slash mode. But there's also some kind of interesting they're called trick weapons, some kind of interesting trick about them that makes them more interesting. So one of one of my favorites, for example, is this huge, huge, huge greatsword that you can have, which was like very easily my favorite weapon in that game. It's a huge great sword, but the trick weapon side of it allows you to pull a smaller sword from inside of it. So it's a great sword that turns into a regular sword. And both of those elements have their own unique, you know, uh, attack animations and play styles. But having them both melded into one weapon is what makes it interesting. And you know, just copy paste that to every single weapon in Bloodborne. And you have a really, really wide range of unique ways of going about interacting with that world, which is very cool. I, lo- I think it's called the Kirk Hammer, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the Kirk Hammer rocks. Yeah, there's a giant hammer and then you can pull the handle out and it is also like a quick like. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like a like a wooden um, like fencing sword kind of exactly. thing. Exactly. Yeah. But then you could just put it back in and have a giant hammer, which is the sickest shit. Yes. When I did my Waluigi run of, blood, of Bloodborne, <laughs> that was that was the weapon I used for that run. So Lies of Peace spin on that. The, the trick weapon idea, I think is actually weirdly more interesting in a lot of ways and allows for more player creativity and freedom than even Bloodborne's did because Bloodborne is like okay you're going to commit to the Kirk hammer and that means that you're going to have the big hammer and you're going to have the little wooden thing what Liza P is doing instead is saying every single weapon that you find throughout the game is a is a blade which is a very loose term that they're using for some of the things that they consider to be blades so just bear with me there there's a blade and then there's a hilt like the the handle that you hold and the handle is what determines the moveset and the attack patterns and and the speed in some cases of the attacks, along with in some cases like the the stats that you need to level along with that weapon. And then there's the blade, which has a different set of abilities, different reach, obviously, because some blades are bigger than others. You could have a dagger, you could have a hammer like you're talking about. You could have all of these different things and you can mix and match any of those blades and hilts in whatever way you want. And there is no like resource worry on that front you don't need to be spending any resources to do that which allows you to just 
like once you've unlocked that system, you could just sit down at one of the teleport points. You could open up a menu and you could just sit there and mix and match all the different weapons and, and uh, together into different kind of uh, combinations. And then you could just like hop out of that menu, flail it around a little bit, see if you like that attack pattern, see if you like all the stuff that you can do, jump back into that menu, mess around some more. And you could just do that over and over and over again. And every single time you get a new weapon, it encourages you to sit down and try it and try all the different combinations and be like, oh my God, I just got an ax from it. Like, a weird firefighter robot let me see how this feels with like if i put an axe blade on a dagger hilt that's going to be silly will that be fun though will that be useful or interesting and in some cases the answer is yes and in some cases the answer is definitely not <laughs> my my silliest one that i've been playing most of the game with if you watch the streams is just one i saw from like a random user on reddit who just recommended this was like this is a silly thing but it works really well for x y and z reasons is again taking a dagger hilt you get a dagger pretty early on in the game taking a dagger hilt and attaching the starting great sword blade to the dagger hilt which means that you're stabbing enemies like thrusting forward with the dagger motion but you have the reach and power of a great sword and you're like strong attacks are these very quick and swift kind of blade uh blade swipes that you know you can imagine swinging a dagger like around kind of flailing it around but you have a great sword at the end of that means that you have a weapon that not only is great for again this is a very linear game is great for smaller corridors where you're not going to be like you know banging the the weapon against the side of a wall and like canceling your attack by accident by like fucking up and getting the uh, the hitbox wrong but simultaneously if you're in a more open space and it gets like a boss or something you can just be hitting the R2 button to do more heavy attacks. And because it's a dagger also, it's like not using as much of your stamina with every single swipe. So you kind of get a best of both worlds thing. On top of all of this, each of the blades and hilts have their own what's called fable arts, which are these like special meters that fill up as you continue to attack enemies that you can unleash in various ways so like the starting balance sword that you have it just increases your attack a little bit if you like use your fable art on the hilt for example but the the blade of the starting sword if you hit the y button pinocchio will do these like really big kind of like sweeping swipes with the sword and again all of that changes depending on what blade and what hilt you have and the ability to combine those things that like you might be combining blades and hilts based on the fable arts you might be doing it based on the move sets you might be doing it based on the reach you might be doing it based on the fact that like in some cases the blade can be used as a shield and then you're playing dark souls instead of bloodborne you know there are so many different elements i think of just that system alone that make the game feel really exciting and rich and weird that I'm really I'm really invested in. And really, yeah. like every time I find a new weapon, I'm like, I'm going to check that out. Alongside that, you have things like, I can't believe it's called this. And it drives me up a wall that they didn't come up with something better or realize that this was very dumb. But uh, Geppetto can upgrade Pinocchio's, sorry in advance, P-organ, which, uh, <laughs> which is literally like the beating heart mechanical clock that he has like running his body and what's weird about it is you collect this resource called quartz which you get from like fighting really difficult optional enemies or the moments in which they let you explore which are few and far between like if you are very thorough about it you can get this element called quartz and quartz is very rare in a, in a given run of the game but you can insert it into these spots which have different like actually really game-changing ability sets that add to your to your like 
just like toolbox of things that you can use to interact with the world. So some of them are as simple as like, we're just giving you another uh, like health item. So like, like in all the FromSoft stuff, you have like a quote unquote Estus flask that just like recharges every time you go and rest. So you could just upgrade that. You could just be like, I'm going to get another one of those. But to do that, to do any of those kinds of upgrades, you need two quarts. And every time you take a quartz and invest it in getting closer to that upgrade, the quartz itself also comes with its own upgrade, which is a list of like 40 different options you have. And they're all like really interesting. Some of them are just like, hey, if you if you stagger an enemy, like if you hit them enough and break their posture, their stagger is going to last way longer now. Or if you're able to do a perfect guard on an attack, it will also fill up the the like resource you need to use the cool like arm tool that you have equipped at that moment and they're like actually game-changing things that are smaller options within a bigger option and that's cool and that will uh, enable people to have i think really interesting like run diversity like if they finish this game and want to play it again i've I've watched some videos from people who have played this game multiple times and they're like it's really hard to choose between new game plus or just starting fresh because being able to choose like an entirely new set of upgrades for the p organ is really unique and interesting or as you continue through new game plus you actually unlock more nodes and more options for that upgrade skill tree and like that's a cool thing. That reminds me a lot, honestly, of, of Remnant's upgrade system, which like that's a thing that you and I have praised a lot about Remnant's differences from Dark Souls is that they get rid of the like weird Excel spreadsheet of stats and level scaling and stuff like that in favor of these like interesting cards that you can unlock over time that will each upgrade different things. And every time you level up, you just get to choose to invest points in the different cards that you've unlocked. And they're all like really fascinating and weird ones. Like if I'm standing near an ally when I'm playing multiplayer, we both just get healed. Things like that. This this to me feels closer to something like Remnant. And it's weird to have it grafted onto, again, the Excel spreadsheet of stats. Like it almost feels like that could have been the thing. You could have gotten rid of the Excel spreadsheet and you could have just had the P organ if you wanted to. Okay, you need to know that whenever you say the P organ, it takes me like two real life minutes to like process and move on. You're stunning. Yeah, I'm watching it happen via video. You're you're stunning me each time. It's like you like actually broke my guard in Lies of P and you get a finishing blow. All I'm trying to do is put you in the headspace of playing Lies of P and hearing Geppetto have to say it over and over again. (laughs) That all sounds amazing. And I think like, well, that does encourage me to play way more of this. And I, I would imagine the more time I spend with this, the brighter my opinion would be. I, I still think it kind of makes all the stuff we covered earlier more frustrating. That's what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah, there there is all of this stuff happening that is so original and is such a fresh spin on it. And, you know, I think like I don't know what the intention was, to be clear, with with the more one to one elements. You know, like I don't want to I don't want to like accuse anyone of like blatant plagiarism or like maybe they just thought that was like this is a good base to build on top of. And these are the things we consider the fundamentals. I, l- I literally think that if you look at the 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 landscape of other people who have made quote unquote souls likes, that feels like table stakes for a lot of people. Like, I, I think if you're spinning up a souls like right now and you're doing like competitive analysis and seeing who else has made souls likes and which ones have worked and which ones haven't and including the FromSoft stuff in there, you're going to think that you need a bonfire and a fog wall and Excel spreadsheet of stats and the weapons have to level up against those stats. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. At least to me, it seems like for a lot of development teams, 
that seems to be the expectation of entering the genre instead of what you and I are kind of asking for, which is like, it doesn't need to be those things. It can be elements of those things, but with something else grafted on top of that. Yeah, I want more subjectivity. Like, I think I, I thought back to when Capcom briefly made a few Zelda games and the central design choice of Minish Cap was this idea that to that team, one of the coolest things about Zelda was the dual worlds of it all. Right. Which I don't think is something a lot of people would say, you know? Right, I agree. And that's the beauty of Zelda is like, what you want from the series could result in wildly different games. A game like Okami, clear inspiration from Zelda, but it feels so unique to itself because it's taking what they like about Zelda and molding it in a different direction. Right. And I think for me, I guess the issue that I have with a lot of Souls likes is the things that are considered table stakes, as you said, to me are unnecessary. You know, I think right. like take even less. And, and maybe maybe it's just I don't want to like defang my original point, but like maybe it's less of a plagiarism thing and more of just a lack of confidence where it's like we actually need to emulate these elements to be seen in this like, you know, corner of a genre. Because, again, consider the audience that you're going for. Right. Like consider the audience of Souls likes fans. Yes. Right. They're going. I think a lot of them are not going to share the opinion that you and I have and they will have those expectations and if you want to be successful like monetarily not even speaking about like the art of it all but I'm just thinking like from a business perspective here's a small studio trying to make a souls like they probably feel obligated to include that stuff sure my counter argument though would be the ones that we remember and the ones that stick around and the ones that become hits of their own are the ones like Hollow Knight to be clear I agree with you I'm just I'm trying to play devil's advocate there I, I'm not arguing with you I'm just making my point of like while I don't know what the development of Lies of P looked like I don't want to accuse anyone of like plagiarism, but I think it's a larger issue of like, what are the things they maybe feel like they need to emulate, right? And I think it's like, if you maybe feel more empowered to have more of an original take on it, I think it's going to result in a, in a fresher experience, basically. I will say amidst all of this, where I am at in the game right now is like just bliss, weirdly. <laughs> uh -huh. Like... A lot of a lot of that stuff hasn't faded away in my head. I still I still think about it every time I'm playing the game because sure it, it's I think it's hard to really praise a game when that praise again has to come hand in hand with comparing it to something else. Yeah, um, right. Exactly. But in the case of Lies of P, I'm I'm walking away from this experience at the moment feeling like I was angry that this was too much like a FromSoft game. And now I am happy that it's so much like a FromSoft game because it really just feels like I'm just getting another one from FromSoft, which is, again, it's a blessing and a curse, a double-edged sword there. But I'm like legitimately very happy to be playing a game that feels as competent as those in 2023 in a world where like the FromSoft release of the year was Armored Core 6, a game that I didn't really connect with, unfortunately, like as much as sure. I wanted to. So now I feel like I'm kind of having my cake and eating it too, where I get to try whatever the new FromSoft thing is. But also I have this other thing over here that's by a different studio that feels as competent and in some cases better than the stuff it's taking inspiration from, which is really exciting. I mean, like every single time there's a boss fight in this game, it is exhilarating. The boss designs are so cool and weird and fun and interesting. And even 
one of the things that I've been most surprised by, especially given how the game opens in the area that we were talking about that just feels like Yarnum again, is that the the enemy design has been really interesting on a like a on like a stage to stage level to level area to area basis. Every single time I walk into a new room, there's an entirely new enemy there with an entirely new attack pattern and all this new stuff. And just when you think you have a handle on what's going on, I don't want to spoil too much, but just when you think you're like, OK, I'm going to fight different weird puppets that have been designed for different things. And to be clear, there is like lore for all of that stuff. Like if also if you're like a lore person, like there is lore for like why uh, the big robot that you fight in the second area in the factory is like a big furnace that looks like shit where all of the other puppets are like kind of designed to look like people. There's interesting stuff there, but like I'm fighting enemies that aren't puppets now. And that has been very weird and very cool. And again, feels like extremely unique to what Lies of P itself is trying to do. And it's it's creating like a surprising, fun, exploratory experience in the vein of the other things that I like. And I'm, I'm again thrust into this back and forth of like, how how mad can I be that I am having the exact experience I've always wanted from FromSoft? You know, like I wanted a Bloodborne 2 and, I, and now I'm playing it. It's just not yeah. by FromSoft, you know, and it it like it just sends the mind into backflips. You know, it's like you, you can't sleep at night really getting a full grasp on that. But like I'm I'm loving, loving to be uh, just just to say this out loud. I'm loving this game. Every time I sit down to play it, I like it more than the last time I liked it. Even so far as as I've been playing on stream, I have had a little counter of where it's at in my goatee list. And every once in a while, something will happen while I'm playing the game, pause the game, update the goatee list like in real time. Cause I've just been yeah. like blown away by something. And then I'm sitting there and I'm like, is this better than X game? And the answer in some cases is yes. And that's a wild thing to think considering the point that I started at, but here we are. Liza P baby. Love of B love the love of B. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm really happy you're having a great time with it. And I think it's clear a lot of people are too. I just currently I'm having a harder time with that balance of like the thoughts we opened with and what the game is doing for me. And maybe that will change if I play more of it. But I, I figured, you know, we, we only bring games to the show that we're enjoying or if we think we're going to have an interesting conversation about it. And in this case, it is both, you know, yeah. so I'm really glad we I'm I'm glad I checked it out at all and that we had this conversation. So Lies of P it's available on pretty much everything, I think, except for Switch. I, I would I would recommend it. It's also on Game Pass, which is, I think that's where I've been playing. It. Yeah. One, one of the biggest points towards it is uh if you have an xbox and you have game pass you could check it out give it a shot let's take a b and come back with more g oh, sure <laughs> kill sounds, me sounds good sounds i'm good. a puppet kill me brendan hey i've been playing a ton of games this week one game that i have revisited that i actually got to finish that i wanted to bring up again is hi-fi rush hi-fi rush was developed by tango gameworks published by bethesda I think it was probably one of the most pleasant surprises of the year. Like it just came out out of nowhere, dropped on Game Pass and immediately was like a hit uh, and and beloved. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't know if it was enough of a success to like be considered a success for Xbox, but it definitely seemed to like resonate with people. And like, I think just it, it was kind of a really pleasant moment. Or a positive moment because I think we're in we're so used to this idea of like games being announced eight years before they come out and just like that amount of hype and so rarely does that like work out you know like mm -hmm. Elden Ring is actually one of the few games that had that 
level of hype and anticipation and then actually met that and exceeded it. But almost always when a game is kind of announced that far in advance, it's kind of setting it up. Even if it comes out and is like good and fine, you're giving people too much time to build their own version of it in their heads. So when it does come out and it's not that, there's just more opportunity for disappointment there. Yeah. That's actually what makes the Starfield thing so bizarre uh, on the Bethesda side is because they generally are actually very good at that. They're very good at announcing games like a couple months before they launch. Like Fallout 4, for example, was like one of those very interesting examples where like there was a lot of reporting that that game was coming, but we didn't actually hear it from Bethesda until like two or three months before it actually came out. That's true. Although I think with Bethesda, it's always kind of a given there's going to be a next one. So whether or not they even announce it, there's going to be that level of hype for the next Fallout or Elder Scrolls. I just mean like there was that e3 however many years ago at this point where they announced starfield and elder scrolls 6 at the same time <laughs> and then i think it took like actually five years to see either of those two games and elder scrolls 6 we still haven't seen any of since then you know yeah oh my god i uh we'll see what happens i don't have the emotional energy right now to even fathom what elder scrolls 6 is going to be like yeah. but this game is coming out and, and to be clear like i don't think it's fair to expect AAA games to be released this way, you know, just like day of drop. But I I do think it is maybe a lesson to learn just about like marketing in general. Like maybe, maybe there's a middle ground between shadow dropping a game that day and, you know, eight years of hype kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Easier said than done. But I just think like I look at the success, at least critically of Hi-Fi Rush. And I think that's a lesson to be learned in some capacity. Yeah. But Hi-Fi Rush is just, it's one of the, I think it's one of the best looking games of this generation, which is kind of interesting to me that I think the two games that feel the most like, oh, wow, we're in the future now are Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart and Hi-Fi Rush. And both are like really cartoony <laughs> and really like not going for realism at all. But yet I think feel they feel like, oh, wow, this is a game like mm-hmm. when you're playing Hi-Fi Rush. I mean, when you're in the game, it, it kind of almost purposely has like a kind of Dreamcast or GameCube energy to it. And without explicitly saying that, I think that's why a lot of people, maybe specifically our age, love this game so much because it does kind of shout out that generation just in terms of like the design of the game and the look of the game and the length of the game. I don't even know if it's a our generation thing though because I think like there's a lot of admiration for that era of games across the board you know for people younger than us who are interested in learning about retro consoles like there's always going to be a mystique to the way things used to be yeah and a game not only coming out with no hype but also being like a 10-hour confident focused experience is like oh my god what a breath of fresh air <laughs> and yeah and the, the whole game kind of look it looks like if the venture brothers meshed with scott pilgrim i feel mm. like just in terms of like the comedy and the energy and the, and the it's very colorful it's very bright I, i've seen a lot of people compare it to saturday morning cartoons which is fair it definitely has like a little bit of a manga or anime aesthetic to it though like i don't get full recess from it personally yeah i agree but what it is is it's a basically an action game that is meshed with a rhythm game so the skeleton of it is very much like a devil may cry or a bayonetta but it's also asking you to try to perform combos to the rhythm of a song and in some cases in some of the boss fights with like the bigger set pieces it can just turn into guitar hero or other rhythm games which like is so fun I think this game is one of the more successful hybrids of the rhythm genre. I think we see a lot of games like Curse of the Necrodancer and others that take like 
a pre-existing genre and mesh it with rhythm game. Crypto the Necro Dancer is a good example of that. But I found other attempts to mesh up those two genres. Sometimes it feels like they don't really work. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it feels like they get part of the way there. But Hi-Fi Rush, like 90% of it really does work. And I think it was really smart to choose these two genres because character action games are all about being as stylish as possible. You know, in, in raw numbers, it's about stringing together combos and score chasing. But I do think the where the passion for the genre is, is getting a chance to express yourself through the mechanics. Kind of like what you were saying with Lies of P, where you can fully customize your weapon to be the playstyle you want, or just to like fully experiment and see what happens. I feel like with something like Devil May Cry or Bayonetta, there's so much variety that it almost feels like you're dancing at a certain point. I mean, Bayonetta, you quite literally are. Right. But it does feel like I've always thought of these games as like solo fighting games, where I think also in fighting games, there is a lot of math. There is a way to turn it all into an Excel spreadsheet. But there's so much expression with like, what character do you choose? Like, who do you want to embody and what's your play style? And I think depending on what rhythm games you're playing, especially I imagine you're comparing it in your head right now to Street Fighter 6. Like, right. Street Fighter 6, the thing that got me the most into that game was understanding that it's kind of a rhythm game at its core in a lot of ways. Absolutely. So there's there's already kind of a secret harmony between the two genres and just sort of like kind of be like, we're just going to actually fuse these together. Yeah, making it literal, bringing it to the surface. Yeah. And I think what this game does really well is like everything in the level is to the beat of the song, which is weirdly like not like I think that's the big mistake a lot of other rhythm hybrid games make is that it kind of breaks its own rules. And there are cases where Hyper Rush also does that somehow. Like I think the big misstep for this game was there are some enemies that force you into like a one-on-one -on -one still confrontation and then they give you like a series of attacks to parry, but those are uniquely rhythmed separate from the song. They're very brief, but it happens enough where I'm like, this felt like a misstep. But everything else, I think, feels so harmonious. And like there are some boss fights where it's like a skill check in learning to parry like to the rhythm of the song and to really listen and feel more than think. Right. So I think like mechanically, this game is great. And on top of all that, it's just so nice. Like the, the art direction is incredible. The music is obviously great. Um, they do get a handful of licensed songs. It's clear they probably maybe didn't get as many songs as they wanted to, because a lot of it is like original songs kind of in between. And then like for the boss fights, it will be like a Nine Inch Nails or Fiona Apple song. But the songs they do choose, like they have a really like they did this great thing of choosing really obscure hits from really well-known artists. Like the end credits is to a Zwan song. I'm like, come on, <laughs> you're really good. You're not doing Smashing Pumpkins. You're doing Zwan. You're making me Google Zwan and listen to them on YouTube because they're not on Spotify. Thanks. But yeah, I, I think this game just has a ton of heart and is so endearing and like I, the characters are great. You know, the, the tone is very like uh, it, it's very it's very much a comedy and it's not really trying to say too much. Like mm -hmm. there is this sort of like fighting a corporation kind of mantra to the game, but it, it's not really seeking to be too satirical. It loses its fangs a bit when it's revealed there's like a secret good corporation that you have to restore it. It's like, oh my okay, God. thanks, Bethesda. Um, I but, did not uh, get far enough to see that. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's fine. But I think really what the game is more about is like individuality. And, you know, in this kind of like campus and corporation of robots, there are these characters that 
have all kind of been hurt or damaged in some way, finding their individuality and their friendship. It's very simple, but it is effective because they're so well acted. And so like they are humanized despite the sort of like campy tone of the game. Yeah. So it's wonderful. I hadn't finished it. But I was like, let me, it's, it's such a short game. Let me like go back. I think I was on the second to last level and I did finish it. And I have to say the most frustrating piece about this game is that it really fully takes off when you finish it. I think the last level of Hi-Fi Rush is so much better than the rest of the game. <laughs> and I kind of get why, because I think there's so much happening. It's already kind of like a game they have to explain to you how it works because it's a hybrid of two genres. Mm -hmm. And they really do a good job slowly adding more mechanics to it. But I think it might have been too slow because I think the game feels the best when you have the most options. And I'm just wondering if there's a way to maybe get there faster. But the, the great thing about finishing it, other than the last level being wonderful and like having really cool set pieces and feeling like the promise of the game. But once you beat it, there's like a really rich post game where you can go back with all the powers you have and do all the old levels and like, you know, do them on higher difficulties and score chase and like, you know, it buy all the upgrades you didn't have when you beat the game. There's also like a bunch of costumes you can buy for all the characters, which is really fun to just like try to do the first level on very hard and like have Chai in a shark suit the whole time. Like <laughs> that's where the individuality comes in as well. The fact that you can like dress up these characters however you want. There's also a roguelike mode, believe it or not, where like there's a tower of enemies where you start off with like none of your abilities and each floor you beat, you can choose an upgrade at the expense of a score multiplier. What the so hell? Like, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Why is that not a separate mode? Right. All its own? Exactly. Yes, exactly. It's like, there is so much more to the game. Once you finish it, part of me loves that. And part of me, you know, sees the Resident Evil 4 philosophy of that. Where like Resident Evil 4, you beat the game, both in the original and the remake. And then there's the mercenaries mode. There's like new game plus, and it, it kind of becomes an arcade Score chase game. Not a coincidence, also a game that came out in the GameCube era. I, I, yeah. I think there there was that, not in every game, but I think there was a idea that you would replay a game mm -hmm. and that it would, at least these two games are confident enough that they know you're going to play it again. And they really show the design strength of it by like letting you navigate in these different modes and like kind of like stretch the game to its limits in some ways. So I, I I got all that and I was like, let me just bring this to the show just to remind people. I didn't even know this existed until recently. I didn't know this was like a thing that awaited me once I rolled credits, but yeah. it does. So highly recommend if you liked Hi-Fi Rush, beat it and then the true game begins. <laughs> um, but I, I also just wanted to talk about this idea of a post game. And I think like I've seen recently in the Discord a lot of discussions about like, what games feel too long and like this idea of having to beat a game to move on to another one. I think because you and I do a video game podcast, like we, I mean, we like realistically can't beat every game we start. Mm -hmm. I think even most people realistically can't beat every game they start. I would even argue that a lot of games aren't even meant to be beaten. I think it's pretty rare when like I, I feel the need to see a game through all the way. It's usually when like I'm either really invested in the story or it's a focused experience like Hi-Fi Rush where it's like it's 10 hours. I want to see it through. Right. But I'm curious like how you feel about post games like this, whether or not they're kind of kept a secret and also just like how you navigate 
the pressure to maybe beat a game or like when when do you feel the need to do that and like what do you think the best way to navigate that right now is yeah when so many games are kind of meant to be infinite having a game like this it's like confident in its 10 hours then has this sort of never-endingness afterwards yeah yeah i think yeah that, just to break that out into two different questions i think start starting with specifically the like when to finish versus not i think for you and i it really is just like a gut thing which is maybe a little bit of a cop-out answer but every once in a while you just feel like you've played enough of it you know like i sure i'm pretty confident just to go back to liza p i'm pretty confident about where liza p is at in my goatee list right now and i think finishing the game probably wouldn't change its placement just based on what else is there. But there are other games, I mean, like Resident Evil 4 Remake, for example, that like I know the crux of that game comes in from not only experiencing it the first time, but playing through New Game Plus, experiencing mercenaries, playing through separate ways, maybe playing through separate ways again in New Game Plus, which I've done at this point. Resident Evil 4 Remake is almost asking you to do that. And I think Hi-Fi Rush having that stuff is asking you to do that. Most recently at the at the Game Awards, um, Remedy announced that Alan Wake 2 is getting a New Game Plus, right? And I'm like... I enjoyed that game the first time, but did I enjoy it enough to play through it a second time? And is this game asking me really to play it a second time? Like knowing the plot and the vibe of Alan Wake too, there is probably some significant interesting stuff that they're appending to that game in the same vein as like a near automata, for example. Right. Sure. Like I'm sure that there is something hidden in that Alan Wake Two new game plus that will make that experience worth having. But I personally don't know if I feel the compulsion to do that again, even though that's what the game is asking me to do. And I feel pretty confident again in where I'm at with Alan Wake Two in terms of my overall feelings on it. All of that having been said, sometimes then, and I don't want to say this out, I don't want to like give specifics for spoiler reasons, but like Starfield is a game that very famously has a very, very interesting new game plus. And I enjoyed experiencing that. I enjoyed getting to the end of Starfield, rolling credits, going through new game plus, going through new game plus a second time, going through new game plus a third time. But at the end of the day, that new game plus is not really additive to my enjoyment of Starfield. It's just like a silly thing that they added to it. And it's hard to talk about why that is without spoiling it maybe we'll do a more in-depth thing about it one day so we can get into those weeds but like that's a game that i don't think really needed that but it's just like a kind of fun nice to have to double back to the the post game of it all i think it really depends on the intention of the post game right like in the case of hi-fi rush it's like you liked this here's more of it in in resident evil 4 remake you liked this here's more of it and more fun ways of playing around with this but then you have things like dragon quest 11 which rolls credits and then the entire last third of the game is hidden after the credits in a post game that I think a lot of people won't even know they can engage with. But that's <laughs> that's where like I would say the meat of that game and the highest highs of that game come to fruition is that post game is asking you to engage with every single system, every single mechanic, use your knowledge of the world and the gameplay loop like the back of your hand to succeed at some of the hardest and some of the most interesting encounter design that that entire game will throw at you. And that's exhilarating, euphoric. I loved it. You loved it. We had a whole bonus episode about it. Like that's an amazing post game, but that shouldn't have been a post game, you know? And I think that's, that's the other element of this that I, I, struggle with sometimes is like, I think in a case like Pokemon Emerald, giving you the battle tower. Amazing perfect you should do that like that's that's wonderful for players you know if this is like the one game they're going to have for six months finding out that there's like a cool way to keep engaging with it even though you've technically finished it already after the fact is is a wonderful gift you know but in cases like dragon quest 11 where they're like 
hey, guess what? If you actually want to see the whole story, you need to do this. Like it's you could just end it there if you want to, but you're going to be a little bit disappointed. Why don't you see the rest of the story here? That's that's where I'm like, I, I think I think calling it the post game is being very generous. You know, I, I think having it be optional is is overall the move. And I think this difference, too, between post game and new game plus in that way where it's like is there content that just opens up because you beat it or is there like distinctly an incentive to playing it again other than just the joy of revisiting it you know yeah right like there are like i love revisiting persona games but i do that every like couple years and it's not really for any reason other than to like experience the game again whereas i think new game plus kind of almost changes the reason to play Resident Evil 4 or Hi-Fi Rush to a degree. Mm-hmm. And it almost comes, it becomes like, I would I would imagine that for some like hardcore Devil May Cry players, the post game of Hi-Fi Rush is like the only, like they kind of steamrolled the game to get to that point where they had like full expression, full mechanics, all these challenges, you know, uh, and there, there are a variety of them. And, and like they all kind of test different skills of the game. There's like, kind of a survival mode there's the roguelike mode i mentioned there's one that kind of focuses more on the rhythm of everything yeah so like i think that's really cool and and i don't think it's fair to expect every game to do that but i i just i like when it happens i like when a game is confident enough in what it's doing and it also i mean it speaks to the threads of inspiration that we discussed before not to try too hard to connect this to lies of p somehow but it's like you mentioned how lies of p is taking things from all the different souls games in different ways and it feels like the different game modes of hi-fi rush are like here are like eight different corners of the game that like we could see people really enjoying individually yeah you know like did you like the arcade hack and slash of this did you like the rhythm game part of it or did you like the sort of skill tree upgrade part of it yeah yeah i think a a, a interesting example that just popped up recently again at the game awards and will be released by the time this episode comes out is god of war uh ragnarok is adding that new mode called valhalla which is like a free dlc that's coming out and that's god of war but as a roguelike which i think is really interesting coming from the perspective of what the last God of War game had as its post game, which was the ability to go out and hunt down the Valkyries and like free all the Valkyries one by one and take on the Valkyrie queen. Like all of that stuff was, Hey, if you liked the combat in this game, here's some more of it with some more interesting challenge added to it. And each of those Valkyrie fights are going to ask you to engage with different elements of the combat in different ways. And it was like super optional. The stuff you got for doing it wasn't like integral to the plot or anything, but was like an interesting way of continuing to engage with God of War um, 2018. And this mode Valhalla that's coming out feels like an extension of that idea. It's like if you liked God of War Ragnarok's combat, here's a fun way to continue engaging with it hypothetically forever whereas in the first game it was like a a thing that you could like put a cap on and be done with in this one it's a roguelike you could go forever it does seem like there's a little bit of like a narrative i mean we'll know more about it by the time this episode is out so uh, forgive me if i'm wrong here but it seems like there's more of a narrative focus on it almost like they're taking some kind of like hades approaches to it where it based on my understanding of the trailer it appears to me like kratos is kind of like continuing to wrestle with his own past and this is him like finally getting over that hump by like continuing to climb higher and higher and higher towards Valhalla um, which is an interesting conceit and I imagine there is an end to that and probably credits that will roll at the end of that something like that but I really appreciate 
that version of a post game that's like you finished God of War Ragnarok. It was a great experience. But if you want to keep playing that game, there are two avenues you can now go down. One of them is New Game Plus or alternatively, you can go and try your hand at Valhalla um, and you can continue engaging with the narrative if you want to do that or you can engage with combat if you want to do that. And I think having that delineation between the two is really, you know, just putting, as you said, putting that choice in the hands of players, I think, is always going to be more interesting than again something like a dragon quest 11 which is like actually you just have to do this if you want to see the end yeah i'm curious what you'll think about this is a left turn but i'm curious what you'll think about chrono crosses uh end game without spoiling the way that game works is like once you beat it you can start new game plus and that in that you have all the characters and all the equipment you had initially but you start the game from the beginning and you can fight the final boss at any time (laughs) <laughs> and you'll, get a, you'll get a different ending depending on when you fight them. So Whoa. there's a there's a super unique ending if you beat the final boss with just Surge, the protagonist, yeah. before you get anyone. So if you if you can beat the final boss just with one character, the ending you get is like a behind the scenes Q and A with like all the developers. <laughs> That's amazing. And in in that game, I think without saying too much, I think the ending you get kind of by default could potentially be sort of disappointing Mm. so it is kind of like a dragon quest 11 where like you might feel like you need to beat it again yeah but it's like one of the most abstract versions of a post game that exists i I think i think you'll love it given that you already like chrono cross you kind of know what you're signing up for yes but that feels like a almost a narrative way to do a post game where it's like that whole game for those who don't know it's the sequel to chrono trigger and chrono trigger is all about time travel chrono cross is all about parallel dimensions and like what dude the multiverse happened. yeah they were very ahead of the curve there um, <laughs> too early some might too, say yeah <laughs> chrono cross was too early in like every way i feel <laughs> um but uh it's like a ps2 looking ps1 game and it's 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 exploding at every corner um but that game is all about like what would have happened if you did this thing differently and having that actually applied to the post game directly where it's like what would happen if you beat the final boss like in the first five minutes or like, you know, before you helped this character with this thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of brilliant, honestly, but it's a little strange. I love that. I, yeah. I love it. Yeah, I think you're right that I think a good post game is like clearly optional. And also like it's kind of an incentive you give yourself and maybe shows the variety of the game design. It shows the spice of life. <laughs> the spice, the of, spice of L. <laughs> Thank you for listening. This is sort of a, a impromptu finale for Into the Aether Loki video game podcast. It's been a great. Can you believe it? We had a great run. It's been a great journey. I, I know some people might be disappointed that we canceled the show a week before recording game <laughs> of the year. But, you know, you'll you'll never really know. Fans will theorize like what would have won. I hope you can get a refund on that flight, Steven. <laughs> It was expensive. It's holiday season, baby. <laughs> anyway, uh, why don't we why don't we take a break and move on to our next few games? I I will just add to this bit uh, while we're talking about Goaty, while we're talking about post games and all this kind of stuff, and also Chrono Cross. Weirdly, that that came up. Um, I feel like I don't know if you if you do this the same way I do, but I feel like I'm auditioning games to be my January game. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> it's weirdly the most coveted spot. It's when we have like the most time. Yeah, we're most open minded. We're like relaxed, easy to please. Yeah, yeah. So it's just like the po- the post go to euphoria and like what game you choose to get into after that. So I just started Chrono Cross from the beginning. Yesterday, I spent like straight up six hours playing Yakuza Like a Dragon from the top. Yes. 
because I was like, well, now that I'm also a Dragon Quest freak, I feel like I should revisit that game. <laughs> um, and uh, I don't know. I feel like there's going to be more. I feel like there's going to be more uh, games in that in that little bucket, which I'm excited to just like try out. I think in the audition room, like Trails in the Sky right now is like arrogantly like, yeah, it's probably going to be me. But, you know, who yeah, I, uh, the thing is, that is still always my subway game. Like I just yeah. have the Retroid with me every time I'm commuting. So I just like do a little bit of that game every time, which means I'll finish it in like eight years. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why it's taking me so long, but I, I would love to finally finish that and yeah. like get deeper into the trails games. It feels like I, I just need to do at least the first couple sky games before I do anything else. Yeah. Um, and not to not to just keep referencing Jeff Keighley presents the game awards over and over again. But um, man, did that visions of mana trailer really make me want to play the other mana games? I have the collection on Switch and it, it it's like. It's like staring at me with a knife every time I like scroll through the stuff that I have downloaded <laughs> on my switch. I just like I just got to I just got to do that at some point because um, I really want to have experienced some of that game before Visions of Mana comes out because that that just looked spectacular. I think like the two things walking away from the game awards for me were God of War Ragnarok Valhalla. I'm just like so excited to get my hands on and and Visions of Mana. That was the other one. I'm like, yeah, I'm curious to play more of the Mana series because I, I played Secret of Mana and I didn't love it, to be honest. Mm. Like, which one is that? That's the one on Super Nintendo with the absolutely gorgeous box art. Yeah, the, the, some of the best box art ever. The box art is so good. I wanted to like the game more than I did. Yeah. I think it's cool. Like, it's it's one of the earliest like action RPG attempts. Right. So like it's one of those games that feels more important than it is necessarily fun to engage with now. Yeah. I'm usually pretty good at meeting a game where it's at. I, I think for some reason, like retro active combat is harder in some ways to stomach than like retro turn-based combat. It can be tough. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's, it's definitely worth checking out make up your own mind about it. And that collection comes with some of the later entries, which I like haven't played at all. Yeah. Including one that I think was just like never released in the States, which is. Exciting. Yeah. I have played the like Final Fantasy Legend game, which I think started it indirectly. Yeah. Um, on Game Boy back in the day. I remember liking that. Is that the one that they remade? I have no idea. I oh, know Trials of Mana is the one that they remade. Yeah. Uh, the Mana series is kind of a blind spot for me. Yeah. I've heard Trials of Mana is amazing. Yeah. Maybe that's January. You know, finally learning about all this stuff. <sighs> yeah. Who knows? That could, <laughs> it, it could be it. That could be the one, dear listener. If you think you know what game we're going to play in January, let us know uh, by sending a letter to P.O. Box Aether. We're just going to get Duke Nukem like 80 times in a row. <laughs> Duke, 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 yeah. Duke. Uh, all right. Why don't, we take, why don't we take a break and come back? That sounds great. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Welcome back. Hello. I want to talk very briefly. Uh, I feel like as as we're talking about Goaty stuff, just doing our due diligence, you know, playing a lot of Lies of P this week, you finishing Hi-Fi Rush. One of the other games that I started seeing on some Game of the Year lists and didn't even know existed and was so upset about because I really felt like I was letting myself down not knowing that this had come out is a game called Subpar Pool, um, which is by a, a team called it's not I, I, I mean, it's a team, but it's it's generally speaking, just like a dude that is making these games uh, who goes by Grapefruit Games, who has made some of my favorite mobile games. Rim to Capsule was the first game that they released, which was like just a really interesting mobile game take on uh, like a kind of RTS uh, slash like puzzle game. It's like an all timer. Also, actually, I would just say every game they've released is kind of an all timer mobile game. Twofold Inc. was another really interesting puzzle game. Hold Down was like almost like a really interesting take on a brick break that I still play to this day 
all the time. Like I'm still always playing hold down. I always just like reset my save and start from the beginning. I just think like, I think that game is great. And subpar pool is, um, is the most recent release came out earlier this year uh, in October and is this fascinating blend of both pool and golf in which you go through what are kind of like roguelikey runs, I would say, uh, where you're given five five pool tables and a set amount of balls on each of those. And you need to just try and get the balls on the pool table into their respective pockets. You know, it's very pool in that way. But as you continue to make your way through different runs, you start to unlock interesting ways of augmenting your runs that will introduce new challenges. So in the beginning, it's like, just play the game, beat the game three times and you beat the game three times. It's like pretty easy. And then after that, they're like, okay, cool. Here's this fun augment where now one of the balls on the table is going to be gigantic. It's going to be huge and super heavy and really difficult to get into one of the holes. And you're going to need to beat the game with that. Okay, cool. Beat the game with that. After that, it'll be like, cool, beat the game in a way where you are using that big heavy ball to knock another ball into a pocket. And if you can do that, then you'll unlock another challenge and another way of augmenting the game. And as you continue to play through the game, you can add or remove any of these augments as you see fit, which is, I think, a really fun way of just like messing around with the different mechanics. Some of them are as simple as just like, hey, we've added different kinds of uh, balls to the to the table. Um, so there's like the big heavy one that I was talking about. There's another one called a hunter, which if you get near it, like if you are swiping back to like hit a ball and you get in the vicinity of the hunter, it will literally like move away and start chasing you around. And you also need to get that one into a pocket. So trying to like work out mentally how you're going to knock a ball that is chasing you into a pocket is really strange and sometimes it involves literally just shooting yourself into a hole so the hunter will chase you in there kind of just like mindlessly um which is very fun there's another one that's like the ball is made of crystal and if it hits a wall or anything else three times it will just explode which also technically counts as getting into a hole so you're like trying to work out in your head do i knock this into a hole or can i bounce this off of enough stuff that it'll just shatter and then on top of that they are also adding augments that are just like specifically gameplay focused augments that are like okay when you're pulling back to aim your shot you can see a line of where your shot's going to go and you can see where it's going to bounce towards there's an augment that's like remove remove that view entirely so when you're pulling back you kind of just have no vision on where the ball is going to go you just have to kind of hope for the best that you're getting it right there's another one that shrinks the size of all the balls by half so the the pool table is technically like twice as big and makes things more difficult um there's another one where every time you're uh, starting a new round or whatever you can put the ball wherever you want on the table um there's another one that's like fixed start when the game starts you just need to start wherever you are if you knock yourself into a hole like you just got to figure it out good luck um and that's really interesting and then on top of that they also start to add different versions of pool tables so as you're continuing to like put on the crystal ball for example and do all of the challenges associated with that crystal ball if you do maybe three of those challenges you'll unlock a new set of pool tables which will be like okay they have one pocket in the middle of the table but they also have actual like portals at the side kind of like well, portal or like, you know, the size of Pac-Man levels where you can like aim a ball through the portal and try and knock it in that way. And the challenges associated with those pool tables will also say like, hey, you need to knock a ball through a wormhole before it goes into the, <laughs> the actual like main hole if you want to succeed at these challenges and the game allowing you to take any of these augments and stack 
not as many as you want. They limit at, in the beginning. It's like, okay, you can only have two augments at a time, but event like I'm at the point where I can have four attached at any moment. So I could be like, okay, I'm going to do the uh, round of levels that have the portals in them. I'm going to have the giant ball, the hunter ball, and I'm also uh, going to have the fixed start, you know, and like crafting those different kinds of gameplay experiences for yourself and see and challenging yourself to see if you can do it. While alternatively, also, every time you equip any of those cards or any of those augments, those augments come affixed with their own challenges as well. So trying to like knock out as many challenges as you possibly can, it allows for this really, really fun progression loop where you are choosing the way you want to play and in doing so unlocking even more stuff. But at any moment you can like choose to engage or not with any of that stuff. So like there are moments where it's like, okay, cool. I'm just going to go sit on the toilet for a little bit and just like escape. And I'm going to open up (laughs) subpar pool and I don't need any augments. I'm just going to, I'm just going to play the like most basic version of subpar pool. And that's fun. That's like still a fun game. And I think that's kind of the magic of subpar pool is like at the end of the day, the actual game itself at its most basic is fun and everything that they've added to it has only been additive to my enjoyment. Whereas I think a lot of games can start to add so many elements that they start to get in. It starts to get in its own way and starts to end up becoming a game that feels like bloated or I start to run into challenges that I don't feel like I want to really engage with. Subpar pool is fun in that all of these augments are actually like challenging the ways in which I am choosing to interact with the game um, and rewarding me for doing so. And that's that's really fun. That's like really, really, really exciting to me as somebody who likes these kinds of games like Zach Gage has made a pool game. There's another one that was just called eight ball pool, which is like you would play pool online against other people. Like I used to play a lot of those kinds of games a lot, but kind of affixing an almost roguelike challenge based mentality to it, I think really like fires off a lot of synapses in my head in particular. And I just think it's brilliant. I actually didn't even mention <laughs> it's just wild that I didn't mention this at all. But the name subpar pool comes from the golf element of this game, which is that which is that each of the pool tables has like a par level to it, like has has an amount of hits that they give you before you technically like lose that table. So, you know, you'll start on a pool table. It'll have two pockets that you can hit balls into and three balls. And maybe you like par is four shots and you're trying to get obviously under par you want to be subpar so that's another really interesting element where like you also have an amount of lives that you're allowed to lose in a run and if you lose all those lives in the run then you know the run is over and you have to start over from the beginning but that's where that's where like a lot of the challenge comes from and then there are some challenges that are like see if you can make it through an entire run without losing any lives see if you can make it through an entire run where 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 you never shoot the ball and not get a ball into a pocket like they just they just keep layering this stuff on top of itself it's just very 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 good i would highly recommend it it's on mobile and pc and i think also switch i would recommend it on mobile it feels like it was really built for mobile yeah sounds like it the art is amazing all the like little balls on the table have like really cute little faces that are always looking at you um the giant ball that i was talking about has like a big uh kind of like theodore roosevelt mustache to him um (laughs) it's just really great the music's awesome the sound is great i just think this this guy and this team can do really no wrong every single time they release something new i'm like i'm there kind of in a zach gauge sense where it's like yeah I think that I think this is maybe a little bit too broad and a little bit too general, but I 
I don't personally feel like there are a lot of teams focused on making really unique, interesting mobile first experiences these days um, that aren't totally weighted down in like microtransaction nonsense. Um, So whenever there is a developer like this making this kind of stuff that is mobile first, I feel a like an obligation to check it out and be an obligation to like champion it if it's you know, if it's good, obviously I'm not going to do it if the game is bad, but subpar pool is one of the best games that came out this year. And I recommend downloading. It's going to be like, it is one of those games that will just be on my phone forever now. I love that. Yeah. That's kind of like, uh, the outsell games for me. They're just yes. like kind of the gold standard of that. I always have Odyssey downloaded on my phone. Like when I got my new yeah. phone and I started fresh, I think I downloaded like four games. One of them was hold down. One of them was Altus Odyssey. Um, yeah. If you want to know the other ones, uh, it's domino drop and not words. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, I, I must have GameCube on the mind, but the game that I kept thinking of while you were talking, it was uh, Super Monkey Ball. Yeah, there was the, the monkey billiards. Mode, yes, uh, where it had sim- like not quite to the same degree, but there were similar types of challenges. Uh, that game, I'm excited to replay the first Super Monkey Ball. I'm like very curious if it does actually rule or if I'm just like totally blinded by nostalgia. Yeah, but I do remember in Monkey Golf the monkeys golfed themselves, which always kind of freaked me out, you know, because like in monkey billiards, like you're using, you know, you're you're playing billiards and they happen to have balls with monkeys in them. Mm-hmm. But monkey golf, it's like I, I and mama being like, OK, let's like look in that direction. And then they hit their own self. And they roll. <laughs> it's scary. I, I and Mimi, excuse me, got the names wrong. Oh, yeah. Um, there's I, I, Mimi, baby and gone gone in the first one. Then they add Doctor in Banana Blitz for not, some reason. Not doc, was, doc. Like, why did the Doctor show up? Anyway, yeah. uh, why don't we take <laughs> before I completely derail this like very thoughtful section with this the names of the monkeys? <laughs> uh, why don't we take a break and move on to our last game? That sounds great. Uh, Subpar Pool. It's out now. I think it's five dollars. Hell yeah! I'm definitely gonna check this out. It's so good, Stephen. I'm excited. Okay, I'll see you in a bit. For when you're silently hiding in the bathroom. I, okay, I didn't want to get too into this, but now that you brought it up twice, do you think it's maybe like in the back of developers' heads, specifically for mobile, that they're like, there's probably going to be a lot of people playing this on the toilet? And like, how do we silently incorporate that into the game design? Because me, Tomo, for me, screamed toilet time. Like I, I, <laughs> yeah, I me too, actually. I only ever played that when I was in the bathroom. Yeah, Not even I like think same. Not to be too gross, but it's like, I, I, it's just like I'm hiding from something. It's a universal truth that people hide in the bathroom. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I think the I think it's a universal truth that everybody does that. The question and the personality based element is how long you do it for when you do it. <laughs> it's not a question and, of if it's a question of how long. Yeah. I wonder if there should be like just more like, hey, we know why you're here. Let's incorporate that into the game somehow. I don't know what that means. Yeah. But I'm just like wondering if that's like a thought at all in the background. Yeah. For some of for some of these games. I mean, think about Marvel Snap. Three minutes. Yeah. yeah but that that might have been like, okay, how long do most people spend in the bathroom at their day job? <laughs> that's a match, baby. Um, I think even one of the like subtitles is on the toilet in Marvel Snap. Oh Isn't yeah, it? it is. Yeah, like yeah. One well, of the headers. Is yeah, on you the can. Uh, yeah, just to explain what that means, you can unlock <laughs> titles. So it has like your username, and then under that, it has like a title. Like the one that I unlocked first and have never changed is "My Child is an Honor Student," which I just think <laughs> is very funny. But there are other ones that are like um, "is is on the toilet" is another one. Bizarre. Maybe one day we'll 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 know the truth behind that. But uh, <laughs> let's let's move on before this section goes deeper into the T. Talking too much about the P organ. <laughs> hello hi 
It's beyond the sea. I don't know why I'm singing that. I guess I guess because we mentioned Bioshock earlier. Anyway, I'm talking oh, about Fortnite. <laughs> <laughs> One of the interesting things I think about doing this show is uh, because of the format that we've set up, we have enabled ourselves to bring things to the show multiple times as we continue to find interest, you know, fade in and out. Fortnite I brought to the show. I would say many times at this point. I usually like once a year probably will bring it to the show because generally speaking, at least once a year, the team behind Fortnite does something really interesting. Um, And up until now, that thing that is interesting that they're doing, or at least interesting enough that I want to engage with it and play it again, is usually like they've added a character that I like from some intellectual property to the video game. Right. You know, it's, it's never really like they've added this incredible new gameplay mechanic like when they added spider-man swinging to the game i wasn't like i gotta go play fortnite again you know like that that is never the thing that's bringing me over there i'm more interested in just like the weird toy box of it all yeah i would say this week is the first time where i'm bringing fortnite to the show because i think the team has made something markedly different and has evolved Fortnite into something that it wasn't before, which is interesting because I think that's the way people have talked about Fortnite for a long time. And we've, when we've talked about it on the show, a lot of it is like, this is maybe the example of how to do a live service game correctly. And it helps that they're making money hand over fist. And I was about to say, have enough people to work on it, but they also just laid off a shitload of people. So, you know, fuck that. But I do think it's interesting to note that part of Epic Games strategy over the past couple of years has been acquiring other studios known for making really interesting stuff um, and having them like work under the Epic Games banner. One of the most interesting ones to me was Harmonix, who made Guitar Hero and Rock Band and got brought into the fold of Epic Games and started working specifically on like the concert series that they were doing within Fortnite when like the metaverse of it all was very much the question of Fortnite. You know, you had Mark Zuckerberg trying to build the metaverse, I think, very poorly. Um, But then you also had on the other side, Fortnite kind of already being a metaverse in itself, creating spaces where people could just hang out and not have to play Fortnite. One of those being every once in a while, if you tune in at the right time, you'll get to like see a concert. Like they'll just have Ariana Grande show up and do this like big, wild, visually stunning experience where you get to watch a uniquely crafted Ariana Grande concert within Fortnite. And that was usually headed up by the Harmonix team. One of the other acquisitions that I had always been wondering to see if it was going to get folded into Fortnite or not was Psyonix, another X developer, uh, Psyonix, who made uh, Rocket League. And it seemed like that level of support was really just from the perspective of like Rocket League is a hit. So we just want it to continue being a hit. I was always curious if they were going to kind of add anything to Fortnite or if they were going to get folded into Fortnite, because I think the fear for me as they continue to acquire all of these developers is like, are they going to do away with the thing that they're good at and just make them work on Fortnite and just make Fortnite more interesting or make like a nightmare all in one app game where it's like there's one game and it's Fortnite. And it can do everything. Well, Stephen, <laughs> here we here's, are. Here's the thing, and this is maybe this is maybe lies of P adjacent in the um, in the like compromise of it all. But although that was a fear for me, they have started doing that as of this week, and I think they've done it in a way that that works from an execution standpoint. Like I think I think what they've managed to do here with Fortnite in the past week, they released three separate experiences, one each day by three different development teams, all of which I think 
make a marked change to the way I want to interact with Fortnite in the future. It's like Fortnite, the base game I'm interested in. Like, I think that that's a good video game. As I said, once a year, I'll usually like usually in the summer, I'll like have my little flirty fling with Fortnite. I'll jump in. I'll like, (laughs) oh, cool. You added Indiana Jones. Great. I'll do the Indiana Jones stuff. I'm in and out. What they've added now is three games. One of them is a collaboration with Lego, which I want to talk about in depth. One of them is a game, a racing game by Psyonix. And another one is a game called Fortnite Festival, which is by Harmonix. I think the Harmonix one is the easiest one to just kind of get out of the way. It's Rock Band. Like they just took Rock Band and they put it in Fortnite. And although that is not really what I wanted, I just wanted I just wanted Rock Band. Having that in Fortnite actually does weirdly make a lot of sense to me, considering what Rock Band turned into towards the end of its life cycle was a live service game like Rock Band towards the end, it became an experience where every couple months they would just release a bunch of tracks and they had like this big online store, like their own little mini version of iTunes where you could buy tracks individually to add to your library and play them in Rock Band with your friends. You know, that worked for a lot of people. That didn't work for me, mainly because I didn't want to have all the instruments in my house anymore. And also it just started costing a lot of money to continue experiencing Rock Band in that way. What's interesting about adding it to Fortnite is Fortnite is already a live service game. So being able to jump into Fortnite, be playing rock band, and then also like, I think just already have the expectation that they're going to be adding stuff to it over time. Like right now, Fortnite Festival only has like 10 songs in it. And I think three of them are by the weekend. And one of them is by the team that made Fortnite. (laughs) Like it's not even like, I don't want to say it's not a real song because that's very reductive because like obviously it's music. They made it. It's a real song. But like it's not it's not like a song by an artist you would know and want to play in rock band. It the is song just like is just someone saying Fortnite for 10 minutes. Fortnite, Fortnite, everyone's playing Fortnite. You know, the, the 10 songs are like they have Seven Nation Army by the White Stripes. They have I by Kendrick Lamar. They have, again, like three songs by the weekend from like his his discography um, going back to like the hills uh, that 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 one really big song. Um, and there it's like good. It's like a good experience with Rock Band. You're playing by uh, there, are, you know, four four notes coming down the track. It looks exactly like Rock Band. You press left and right uh, or what is it on the Xbox? At least it's X and B. So it's left, right, X, B for the four notes. Um, and you're just playing on your controller. They announced as soon as they released it that they are also finding a way to allow people who still have their instruments from Rock Band to use those instruments to play Fortnite Festival also. Oh my God. Which does make me think that they're going to start making instruments again. Get some condensed air, dust off those those guitars in the garage, baby, yes. we're back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be really hard to get the dust and cobwebs off the top of those drum pads. <laughs> Just by nature of them being a little bit sticky, but it'll be worth it. Yeah, that's it. Like, I do feel like the generation below us that is growing up with Fortnite is probably primed and ready to be playing a game like Rock Band with plastic instruments again. Like, I feel like they would actually really like that. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, totally. It's it's a very especially like as we're kind of all healing from a post quarantine life, like having a game about people being together is actually kind of nice. Yes. You know, what is interesting about this though, and speaking to the metaverse of it all is like, you know, as, as I think the one company that maybe has figured it out, or at least is making good on the promise that a lot of people have tried to raise billions of dollars to do and fail is that you can also play Fortnite festival online with your friends and you can hop in, uh, you can hop in, choose your instrument, you know, squad up in a lobby like you would for a regular Fortnite. And what's actually interesting is when you load up Fortnite, you're just 
setting up a lobby with your friends and you can jump into any of the experiences I'm about to talk about with your friends, no matter what you're doing, which is, I think, interesting to kind of unify it in that way. But with Fortnite Festival, you can lobby up with your friends, choose your instrument, choose the song. You can make a playlist of songs that you're going to do and then you can just go through them. And it also brings in all your cosmetics from Fortnite. So like whatever skin you're playing as you are in Fortnite Festival with. So I was like Captain America with a guitar playing the White Stripes, which is like so deeply weird. It's yeah, so silly. I love that. And almost yeah. like the antithesis of what the White Stripes are all about in a lot of ways. Yeah, at a certain point, that's like cross like IP crossover to the point of no longer having meaning. You know, right. just like <laughs> this is just colors and shapes at this yes. point. Like when they inevitably add a Rage Against the Machine song in there, that'll be like... The, that'll be like the <laughs> pinnacle of all of this, you know, even even honestly, with the previous stuff that Epic Games has worked on, like Epic Games made that Radiohead uh, thing that you and I played, like the the, ki- the kid a amnesia thing, which yeah. was like this interactive art exhibit that you could walk around that had like the making of kid a and all of this stuff and like unreleased tracks and unreleased bits of tracks. And if you, if you went into and played that thing, you unlocked a bunch of Radiohead stuff in Fortnite also. So my Fortnite lobby music is like weird demo reels of the song kid a, which is like so weird to load into Fortnite, hear Radiohead, see captain America, and then see him hold a guitar and play, play seven nation army. I don't, know if i have it in me to see goku like whisper cigaros over Fortnite, you know like yeah. <laughs> that's gonna happen one it's day it's gonna happen but i love the idea of, i mean rhythm games you know i i i would love to see rhythm games in general kind of become more more of a mainstream thing and having rock band back would be a lot of fun yes and it, honestly it just feels like that's where we're at like i think i think there was a world in which harmonics would go make another rock band but i think it makes a lot more sense to append it onto Fortnite, a game that like for, it makes business sense yeah to append it onto Fortnite, a game that is already you know wildly wildly successful i also think rock band and like that type of game also kind of makes sense for vr as well like i'm not really that interested in vr but i think like i was gonna bring this up yes that feels like it makes like rather than having to bring back the plastic instruments just to have it exist in there probably works better and more seamlessly this is the weird missing link of i was gonna get to this after talking about all three games but you brought it up now so why not it's weird to me that Fortnite doesn't have VR support yet, like official VR support. It just feels like such an obvious slam dunk and specifically like dunking on Mark Zuckerberg yeah. personally <laughs> yeah. to be like, hey, get get the MetaQuest 3. You got to buy Mark Zuckerberg's thing and then use our metaverse instead of his, you know? Like, yeah, right. Rather than having to pay $20 so your avatar has legs. Yes. It's like, it, ju- it just feels like such an obvious thing. And you could do that in any of these spaces, right? Like regular Fortnite, any of the like Fortnite Island stuff with the concerts, Rock Band, or any uh, the two other experiences I'm about to talk about. Like all of that stuff just feels like ripe for that. And I would, I would love that, like truly. Like I don't even have a VR headset anymore, but I think I would get one if that could be the experience. There's also other stuff I want to play in VR that I'm not playing right now. So it wouldn't just be for Fortnite, obviously. I I have a question about all this because I this is the first I'm hearing of a lot of it. So I kind of feel I feel like how my dad must feel when I explain this show to him. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) so these experiences, is this at all related to what was announced a while ago of like Fortnite essentially making allowing people to make games within Fortnite? 
kind of like Roblox, essentially. It is, yes. And I don't I don't know how that's going to attach to Fortnite Festival yet. But now is maybe a good time to bring up. I'm doing these backwards in the order if they were in the order they were released. But Fortnite Festival is the most recent one. The one that was uh, announced and released the day before that was Fortnite Rocket Racing, I think is what it's called. And it's, again, the Rocket League team making a racing game within Fortnite. And I was like... I don't know. I was a little bit ambivalent about it. I really like when studios like this make racing games and append them to other games. Like literally, I think my favorite thing that Bungie has ever made was the Sparrow Racing League, which was a, a racing game that they built into Destiny, uh, Destiny 1 specifically, that never came back in Destiny 2 and made me so sad because that was like the thing I looked forward to every February. It would become the Sparrow Racing League. I would like do daily streams. I was decked out in Sparrow Racing League stuff. Like I just loved that so much and I was good at it. That was the thing I like loved getting good at it. So I was I had like a little twinge of hope in my head when I sat down to play this that it was going to like hit those same highs for me. And uh, it sure does. It's really fucking good. Oh, nice. It's I I I was interested in it. I thought it was going to be like I thought it was going to be a little bit bare bones and it kind of is at the moment, but the rocket racing in Fortnite is basically like you are in a Rocket League car, like the default car everybody gets when they start playing is just like the car from Rocket League, like the one that's in the logo, the one that's on the cover of the box, like it's just that car. And what they've managed to do I think is just take a couple interesting things from Rocket League and blend them with a couple interesting tweaks in racing specifically that make Make it feel unique to itself. So it's definitely like an arcade racing game that you're playing online. You can really only play it online with other people. Um, there is like a tutorial if you want to play offline, I guess, with bots, but it's mostly online and ranked. But you make your way around these tracks and kind of like in Mario Kart, how you can drift and drifting will allow you to get a little bit of a boost. Um, in this game, they're really focusing on that aspect by itself and saying the longer your drift is, the longer you'll fill up your boost meter, almost like a like a burnout as you continue to like smash into cars and do other stuff. You like fill up this boost meter that you can then use whenever you want in Fortnite rocket racing you're doing the same thing where as like the longer you drift the more it fills up this boost meter that you can then spend at any moment in these moments where it's like okay i'm drifting i'm drifting i'm drifting i'm drifting straight away use all of that drift power in a boost which is great on top of that where does the rocket racing come in um they still have the rocket league like rockets attached to the cars so there are bits where you will like jump into the air and you could like land on a second track or like shoot yourself into the air and just like skip a bunch of obstacles or jump over a bunch of people in like a very speed racer by the Wachowskis kind of way. You could just like launch yourself into the air, hit your boost button a bunch and like rocket above everybody else while they're battling it out on the on the ground like like peasants. You can fly above <laughs> them with your rockets and just land in front of them, um, which is really interesting. You can also like in Rocket League has the ability to um, have you like juke left or right by kind of like spinning your car left or right. And you can use that to bump people out of the way. You could use that to like smash and destroy other players on the field in Rocket League. You can also use that to if you're in like a tunnel or something, you can launch yourself up and like gravity uh, magnetize yourself to the ceiling and drive on the ceiling. You could drive on the walls um, and there are certain tracks that you can jump into, which will have different pieces that you can like kind of launch yourself and magnetize, grab yourself to um, if you want to like get out of the way of a bunch of people in front of you or like if there's a boost on the wall, but not on the ground or like one on the ceiling and not on the ground. There are some cases where like if there's a tunnel that you can go through, you can also launch yourself up to the top of that tunnel and not even have to worry about the tunnel at all. And then when you're on top of the tunnel, like boost a bunch, launch yourself off, things like that. So there's a lot of like really engaging gameplay stuff going on there. But to your point, 
about this like Fortnite creator thing that they're trying to build up. What I've noticed about starting every single race is that it will say like, here's the name of the track and here's who it's developed by. And the answer always right now is psionics because that's the only stuff that's in there. But it does definitely, definitely mean that they're going to unlock that for the creators, like the Fortnite creator club out there or whatever it's called. I forget what it's called and allow other people to make tracks for that, which does mean this possible future of like when you're playing this rocket racing thing, you'll just get a random playlist of levels made by people from throughout the world, which I think is really exciting. Um, and I'm interested to see how that's utilized in the future. Yeah, I, I am also interested in that. Like, I think I, I've never really connected to Fortnite the way you have, not even out of like judgment. It just doesn't really work for me. I'm not that into shooters, but like, like you pointed out, Fortnite has become more than it was, you know, yeah. like, it went from being like kind of a knockoff of like Overwatch and PUBG to being what Mark wanted to sell the world. Right. Uh, which is <laughs> here we are. But uh, I remember when they announced the the like creator side of it, like a lot of my friends who are developers seem excited about that. And I think in the best version of it is inherently exciting. I think in general, the fact that game development tools have become more accessible is overall a net positive. Yes. Like the fact that it is not, you know, wildly expensive or difficult to learn anymore is great because people get a better chance to express themselves. It does make it harder to get noticed. I mean, mm -hmm. this is a number of games released on Steam worldwide between the years of 2004 to 2023 on Statista.com. Oh. Uh, 2004 was 64, which I mean... So that was very early days of Steam. Yeah. So for a more accurate half of thing, those like, were Half-Life games. Yeah. I remember getting really into Steam in like 2012. At that point, Probably there were same for me. Yeah. 433 games published that year. In 2022, there were 10,644 games. And really, it's like there's a big jump in 2014 from 559 in 2013 to 1,342 in 2014. And then pretty much every year after that, it just goes up and up and up. And that's, I think, when we get a lot more big indie games, too. You know, I think that's like, yeah, right. Even though it's like, oh, man, like it's way harder to stand out now. It is exciting. My only real reservation about Fortnite creator is just the monetization of it. Yeah. Yeah. What we've seen with Roblox in particular is so horrifying. Like, I think like Roblox in theory sounds wonderful and I'm sure that there are people out there who can manage to have a positive experience with it still. But like, I highly recommend watching the people make games video about the monetization of Roblox. Yeah. Even just like the fact that they get 70% of what the game makes. And that's like the tip of the iceberg. Right. Like they, it, it is predatory in many ways. Yes. Um, so it's very dark. I would hope that Epic games would not follow that, but it's hard to know. Right. It's, yeah. I mean, I think if you're a company looking to make money, you look at how much money Roblox is making and that might be the model you follow, even yeah. if you don't know the full story. And they have, to their credit, at least in this case in particular, um, gotten pretty good about the way they've been uh, compensating people making stuff for the Unreal Engine, right? Like they used the, the large amount of money that Fortnite was bringing in to lower the amount of revenue that they're taking or skimming off of the top from sales on the Unreal Engine store. Um, and giving more back and then also back paying all of those creators, which I think was a really like nice move in particular. So knowing that that is kind of the company that we're talking about here, 
I am hopeful that when they do roll that out and some of that stuff does show show up in Fortnite in earnest, like there will be better monetization policies behind that that won't be as like legitimately terrifying. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I'm with you. I'm not expecting it to go down that dark of a path, but that's like my only cautionary feeling with it. Yeah. Um, overall, I think it's like it's exciting. It's another I mean, I see it as another engine to work with. Yes. Right. And it's probably easier in some ways to get eyes on your work in Fortnite than just releasing it on Steam or Itch. Yeah. You know? One of my big questions about these three experiences that have been released is have they been made using those same tools that creators can make? Like that's that's I think the missing piece of the puzzle here. Like, yeah, right. Are these the kinds of things that people can make and then they will eventually allow in Fortnite as like, you know, the same way you could hop into um, Halo Master Chief Collection or the most recent Halo game with like its Forge mode and all of its different game modes that you can like create and customize and you know make your own maps and things like that um and you could select from a bunch of like community things do they have something or will they have something to that effect within fortnite i think the answer is like probably obviously yes again especially if they can monetize that stuff like it seems like a no-brainer but that having been said that does lead to the third one which was actually the first one that was announced and released which I think is really fascinating. So it's a collaboration with Lego. It's just called Lego Fortnite. And when they announced this, I think everybody's expectation was like, literally, you're playing Fortnite, but you're Legos. And like, like that was kind of it. Like the world is made of Legos. Like maybe that's the video game. What was released is much closer to, I think, a thing people have asked questions about and have been wondering about for years and years and years, which is when is someone at Lego going to wise up and make their own Minecraft? Like when will the Lego version of Minecraft come out and you actually saw collaborations between Lego and Minecraft, like on actual like minifigure sets and stuff like real tangible sets that you can go buy. And I thought when that was happening, that that was going to obviously lead to like a collaboration between Mojang and, and Lego. Um, and they were going to make like a version of Minecraft together that actually used Lego blocks because like when Minecraft came out, when it first came out, I, I remember pitching it to people when I was playing it as like, this is Lego, but for the next generation, like that's really what this is at the end of the day. Um, it just seemed like such a match made in heaven for that to exist. And I think it's very interesting to have done that via Fortnite instead. So what you have with Lego Fortnite, the closest analog, a lot of people are saying Minecraft, which I understand the closest analog that I think you will connect to and probably a good chunk of our listeners is um, Dragon Quest Builders. It feels so much like Dragon Quest Builders. Interesting. One of the interesting things that they've done, though, is again, like in uh, Fortnite Festival and in Rocket Racing, where you can bring in all of your cosmetics and like everything you've unlocked, they have made Lego versions of most of the cosmetics that you can have. So I'm like little Lego Captain America running around in Lego <laughs> Fortnite, which is very funny. But when you start a new world in Lego Fortnite, you get dropped onto this space uh, that is just like kind of a big empty wilderness. And they ask you before you start, they ask you like, okay, do you want a hunger meter? Do you want to worry about temperature? Do you want to worry about this thing and this thing and this thing? Because at the end of the day, it is also pulling a lot of elements from survival games. So what you have then is like a full on multiplayer experience. You can play with a bunch of your friends where you get dropped into the space and you need to like make it work and making it work works very similarly to the way it does in Dragon Quest Builders, which if you haven't played that or if you haven't listened to our episodes talking about Dragon Quest Builders, it's a game where you need to like build community and you need to like build a place and a town and a village and meet everybody's needs and use those needs 
as ways of propelling you further out into the world and getting more bold in the ways in which you're exploring. Um, they've done that in Lego Fortnite, which I think is really exciting and really interesting, especially yeah. for people who like aren't fans of Dragon Quest or haven't played the Builders games in general. Um, this is a really interesting gameplay loop. And to append that into Fortnite, I think makes a lot of sense and works really, really well. So the game starts with you, you know, just starting off building a campfire for you and the other person who is there. Um, you just build a campfire. It's a way to keep you warm. It's a way to cook food and like keep you fed uh, if you have, you know, the, the temperature and hunger meters turned on. After that, you can build like, you know, a little shack with some beds in it. You can lie down in the bed and have that be like your save point that you respawn in just like in Minecraft. But you can also build what is called a town center which is like a statue that you can put in the, like wherever you want, but it establishes a town. And when you do that, like in Dragon Quest Builders, that's when other people start to show up in your town and ask you for things. They'll ask you for different needs. They'll be like, hey, I need a bed to sleep in. Cool, easy. Or I want a job. Like, I need you to give me a job. And those jobs could be a bunch of different things. It could be as simple as I want you to come with me and you're going to adventure around with me. And when we go out in the world, I'm going to, like, give you a sword and we're going to, like, make it work. That's very Dragon Quest Builders. Yes. Yeah. Or alternatively, you could be like, I want you to focus specifically on taking all of the wood that I am gathering and turning it into planks. So I can then turn that into other stuff, which, again, is very Dragon Quest Builders. And that, I think, to bring this full circle is where I get into the, like, lies of P brain again. <laughs> And I'm like, this is so similar to Dragon Quest Builders that I'm actually now propelling myself to want to go play Dragon Quest Builders instead of this. And I think the the big missing link here is that I haven't played it multiplayer. And I wonder if playing it multiplayer would actually just like yeah. be the thing that unlocks it for me. And also knowing that like this is just the beginning of this. Like this is sure. this is the beginning of Lego Fortnite. And I imagine just like, you know. Fortnite Festival only has 10 songs in it, and I'm sure will be a thousand by this time next year. I imagine Lego, Lego, I was almost gonna say Lego Minecraft, Lego Fortnite will probably also get better and better and better. The thing that the real sticking point for me with Lego Fortnite versus Dragon Quest Builders is Dragon Quest Builders being a voxel based game, meaning like Minecraft, you can like pick up any block and put it anywhere else. As you pick up those blocks, like dirt blocks, you can combine them into different things and whatever. Lego Fortnite is asking you, go to this tree, knock down this tree, and you're getting wood from that tree. But like, I can't go up to a tree and see that the tree is made of individual Lego bricks because instead of making the whole world out of Legos, what they've instead done is said like, here's the Fortnite art style, but your Legos running around in that. So it's like a normal ass tree. And the normal ass tree takes like four hits of an axe to take down and turns into X amounts of wood. But it doesn't feel as tangible as something like Minecraft and like Dragon Quest Builders, where I can see each individual block I'm picking up and know, OK, I need to find, you know, four deposits of copper. And when I get those four copper blocks is when I can go do this thing. Instead, it all feels a little bit disconnected visually from what they're asking me to do. I cannot believe Liza P has like rewired my brain this way, but I've been thinking about when you brought up the fact that this feels a lot like Dragon Quest Builders and like thinking about the line of, you know, inspiration and then copying and like what, what defines that? Where can we draw that line? It's interesting to see. I mean, the, the influence of Minecraft is so vast yeah to the point of influencing zelda right you know yeah and there are a lot of games that like i mean dragon quest builders is a game that has those cubes you can look at footage of that game and very easily accuse it of being a minecraft ripoff with the dragon quest ip stamped on it but it's really not i mean i think it, it fundamentally is focused on different aspects yeah whereas minecraft the core game i haven't played it in a long time but the the, the minecraft that i know uh <laughs> 
uh, is about surviving. It's a survival game. Your dad's Minecraft. Yeah. And then there's the creative mode where like you can remove that and really just like fully let go of it. Yeah. Whereas Dragon Quest Builders is a surprisingly narrative driven experience. Yeah. It very much is still trying to be a Dragon Quest game that happens to have a different verb instead of fighting. I mean, there is fighting, but instead of like being a level you know, uh, an RPG where you level up, it's a building game and it's really about building like towns specifically. Yeah. I think it's using, it's using the mechanics of Minecraft in that you're like gathering resources and building things, but focusing it through the lens of community and you, and focusing it through the lens of like meeting the needs of others and like being helpful to the people around you, which I think is a really smart way of going about it. So the fact that we have games like that and don't starve and call to the lamb that like all on paper are like lies of peeing Minecraft, like none of those I would, I would have that same conversation about. I wouldn't call any of those games derivative. And I wonder if it's just solely because Minecraft has been around for so long that like we kind of like it's hard to really trademark crafting and building and Mm -hmm. like hitting a tree for wood. But those are all things Minecraft kind of like planted as game mechanics, you know, so I'm I'm now hopeful with like the soul stuff that eventually will be less compelled to copy the UI and more like, okay, in my opinion, you know, what, what the skeleton of a Souls game is, is like the atmospheric storytelling and the boss fights. Right. You know, if I had to choose like two core ingredients and there's so much to do with those two pieces. Yes. Right. Anyway, I just had that kind of uh, a bee blast in my head uh, <laughs> when you brought up Lies of P again. Yeah. No, I, I think I think that all makes sense. And I think in the case of Lego Fortnite in particular, I am having a hard time getting around that dragon quest builders of it all but i do think it is like a remarkably sound foundation for something that can be interesting in the future i think there's a little bit of tedium in lego Fortnite that is like just killing my fun level something that i thought was interesting in the beginning and i'm now finding like is driving me up the wall is uh whenever you want to like build a house for example you need to choose the house from your like selection of things that you can build put down like the blueprint for the house on the ground. And then you need to build individually each piece of that house. And it'll like give you the resources uh, or it'll tell you the resources that you need for each of those things. So you could just have like half finished stuff all over the place, which I thought was cool at the start. And now I'm like, I don't know. I I just feel like the the part of my brain that needs like order to chaos is um really melting down when I'm like looking at all of the half finished projects I have lying around my camp. Instead of feeling compelled to finish them, I just feel overwhelmed by them in that way. Um, and that might just be like a shift of gameplay for me. That might just mean like okay, build one thing and finish it, and then move on to the next one. But when it's asking me to engage with all these different mechanics and asking me to do all these other things, like you know somebody comes to town and they need X, Y, or Z thing, I feel compelled to try and do that. And then I start to build that, realize I don't have enough resources for it and then it just kind of is left sitting there until i can like venture out into the world which is very dangerous i think one of the more interesting things about lego fortnite is that they made it like kind of crushingly hard it's kind of fun it's a fun it's a fun take on this but that having been said it does mean that like every time i go out there i am really at risk of death uh and it and it makes resource gathering freakier than calming which is i think what i'm looking for in a game like that like that's that's where i connected with minecraft is like the moments in which it's daytime you don't need to worry about getting chased around by like a creeper or a skeleton or a spider or something and you can just kind of do whatever you want and then at night you can you know drill your way down into the earth and stuff 
Um, and just kind of like, you know, that, that dichotomy between day and night becomes less and less scary over time. I don't know if that'll happen in, in Lego Fortnite. It just seems like they always want it to be dangerous. And on top of that, you have the hunger meter and also the temperature meter. So you're like worried about that stuff as well. Of the three experiences that they've added to Fortnite in the past week, the Lego Fortnite one, I think is to be clear, I think it's going to be wildly successful and it already is when i tried playing it the day it came out there was a wait time of like 30 minutes to get into a server which was wild and on top of that i saw the the um the count of people like i think it was like three hundred thousand people were playing fortnite and 2.3 million people were playing lego fortnite as like you know in terms of the excitement for lego fortnite existing so like yeah. there are a lot of people playing it and i think it's going to be really popular and i think it's going to go forever like that's going to be just another huge hit for the epic games team for me right now in the place it's in i haven't really connected with it on that level but i don't expect every one of these experiences to be for me you know and i think just the fact that i can hop into fortnite and i could play regular ass fortnite i could play regular ass fortnite but with zero build mode on which is the one i always do at this point or if i want i could just like knock a few races out or i could go play rock band and see whatever whatever tracks they've added recently um or i could jump into this lego fortnite thing and all of that adds to the experience that you can level up you know like it doesn't matter which of the fortnite things you do but you get experience for all of them so if you're like a person who's getting the battle pass every season or whatever like you could play any way you want and have that work for you in the same way that destiny worked for me when destiny was working for me when they had things like sparrow racing league or they had um their like special pvp modes that they would add every once in a while or they added like you know the the raids or the strikes and things like that you could engage with destiny any way you wanted to and it all helped you in the end the same thing is happening within fortnite which i think is really smart if you're gonna expand it again to just boil this down to my first thought I just think they got the execution really right. I think it's a I think it's a horrifying idea. And as time has gone on, I have enjoyed Epic Games as a company, I think a little bit less, especially after all the layoffs and some yeah. of the stuff that's happened recently. But I do, aside from that, have to praise, I think, what was like a really sound sequence of decisions that led up to the past week of like wild, wild announcements. And I think the cherry on top of all of that is last month when they added the like original Fortnite mode back into the game that was like hey you can play Fortnite, but in the original map with all the original weapons with the original mechanics and all that kind of stuff and it just brought people flooded back into Fortnite, who were like believe it or not nostalgic about Fortnite because it's been out for so long it's been going for so long and it's changed so much that people were like man i wish i wish i could play Fortnite the way it was originally launched and like hey here it is doing that the month before announcing all of this stuff and like bringing people back and then dropping all of this cool new stuff that you can do just like really smart really smart stuff but i'm curious to see what's next you know like this is yeah. all stuff from internal teams that epic games has purchased i'm curious like what's next here is it going to be creator focused stuff is it going to be more stuff like this are they just going to focus on these four things that they have built into fortnite right now is it just going to be fortnite lego the racing one and rock band or are they going to add a fifth one and a sixth one and a seventh one or are they like no let's let's make sure that these all hit the same level that fortnite like proper has hit before we add more stuff onto it i'm not really sure but it's it's really interesting it's really interesting hear me out though wouldn't you rather have like an xbox 360 avatar but more uncanny and just have your work meetings with them <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah i would love uh i would love to be on this podcast talking about end-to-end -end encryption when sending messages <laughs> via the metaverse I think I read somewhere that Mark's metaverse made $400 and that brought me immense <laughs> joy.
I, yeah, I don't know if that's true, but I'm choosing to accept it. <laughs> I, yeah, I just that's that's my metaverse is just believing that the metaverse made four hundred dollars. <laughs> I don't need any games. Yeah, that's all I need. I do think weirdly the the one thing that Fortnite did that really brought me into like oh they got it already like I don't know whatever all these other people are chasing like like Epic Games figured it out with Fortnite was when they added Bulma's yacht to Fortnite and you could just stand on her yacht and watch episodes of Dragon Ball Z. That was like. That was it for me. That's Brendan bait. That yeah. one really, really was. Yeah. I did open up Fortnite and just sit there and watch DBZ episodes for like hours, which is weird yeah. because I own them all digitally. I could just do that on the same TV that I was sitting there yeah. on. But uh, you could also like fly around on the Nimbus and stuff. So speaking of, do we have a release date on the new? I know it's called something different, but it's essentially Budokai Tenkaichi. Oh, yeah. The, the new Dragon Ball Z fighting game. Dragon Ball Sparking Zero. No release date. Very excited, though. Yeah, I'm really... We got to play that. I'm really stoked about that, yeah. I actually experienced the first time... I got into Dragon Ball a little bit later. I got into it in high school, whereas, like, most people got into... Uh, most people around our age got into it in middle school. Yeah. Hence the Linkin Park AMVs. Um, <laughs> but I experienced the full story for the first time via Dragon Ball Z Tenkaichi 2 for the Wii which is a bizarre way to experience the story funny. because it's it's the whole thing. It even does GT. So I kind of, I know who Omega Shenron is. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry you had to experience that. Yeah, I had to, I had to, I had to play through the baby saga. Anyway, uh, it's weird because like all the story beats lead to a fight and you win, but then it cuts to what happened in the story where the hero loses constantly. So right. it's like, I just beat Frieza. And then the narrator's like, they couldn't beat Frieza. <laughs> there was also a bizarre, like there were a few optional levels that were all what if stories. And one of them was like, what if Zarbon was good? I'm like, <laughs> no one has asked that. No one on earth has asked what, what, what could have Zarbon done differently during the Frieza saga yeah. that would have changed anything? Yeah. Ask not what your country can do for Zarbon. Ask instead what Zarbon can do for your country. Balls of Z. Um, why don't we wrap up? Jesus. <laughs> we should wrap up. Now, I think we should end the show now, not for the previous reason, but just because how do you top Balls of Z? I don't you know. know. I don't know. I think that's it. Jesus. Anyway. Thanks for listening. Thanks uh, for if listening. you like the show, you can ask Zarbon directly what he would have done differently. I don't, yeah. What did he even do? He was just like the sideshow before Frieza yeah. showed up. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't even in the Ginyu squad. He was just like also there. <laughs> anyway, if you like, <laughs> if you still like the show somehow, you can go to into the cast that online. Uh, you can also rate and review us on Apple podcasts and Spotify. It really does help us grow. We got a lot of recent reviews that have been very nice. Thank you to those who have done that. Links to our Patreon are also into the cast that online. We have actually plans to record something kind of impromptu for the Patreon, like right after this episode. So that might already be out. And if it's not, it'll be out soon. Uh, but we also have like, as I've foreshadowed many times, we have pretty big plans for the Patreon that I think we'll either announce like on the game of the year episode or the episode after that. So like I said at the top of the episode, we had to reschedule the Twilight Princess bonus. So expect that after Godi. I also think the decision there was like Godi tends to kind of eclipse everything, both like in terms of show prep and also in terms of listenership when it comes out. So we didn't want like the Twilight Princess bonus to kind of be like 
second to game of the year. So I think it'll be better to release it after the fact. And yeah, I'm, I'm just really, really excited. I'm, I'm very grateful. Like we've been doing this show for five years. This is going to be our actually five and a half years. This will be our sixth goatee, which is kind of surreal. And I'm just kind of reflecting. I mean, talking about Fortnite even got me thinking about like how the show weirdly started with Fortnite. Like Fortnite had just kind of come out and was in its early form when we started. And being able to kind of speak to games and to have these conversations with you and like reflect on our own history alongside how games have changed over time, yeah. even a short span of five years. I'm just very grateful that we have so much support for the show and we're still able to do it. So just thank you all for listening and looking forward to ending the year on a positive note. For real. Thank you so much, everybody. Um, so excited to record Goaty. Yeah. You and AJ are coming here. It's going to be great. I have my, fl- I have not canceled my flight despite all the balls of Z. Cool. Well, why don't we, why don't we just say goodbye? You know? Okay. Goodbye. <laughs> See you soon. of Steve. TWG, the worst garbage, the online.